the sweat and dirt that builds up around there. What are we talking about? <laughs> this is ridiculous. We're so weird. We're so Health weird. and beauty tips, man. It's okay. <laughs> a man could discuss that. I don't think this bread has anything to do with it. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is how we start off by fucking around. Um, <laughs> it Chips is, and giggle. It is Hit Rewind. Jacob's on the other side with me. If... Uh, well, hey, nothing if. I don't know where the fuck I was going with that. <laughs> okay, so can I tell you something real quick before we go into this? We're going to be discussing the films of 1984, and since there's so many great movies, it's one of the greatest years ever, it's going to take multiple episodes. We're not going to include the sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. We're going to do that in another spinoff show that we'll be doing next year called uh, Video Night Beyond. Um, mm. This is more of the dramas and comedies and stuff like that, uh, the, the, the movies that wouldn't be part of that genre. Um before we get into that, though, I do want to say this. I have finally started loading up those Michael and Marvin uh, puppet parodies that I do uh, for my friends on Facebook. I load them up to YouTube. Um, I did like 12 of them yesterday. They've just been sitting in my computer. And uh, I got a notice today that someone wanted to cast me in a short film that was like an homage to American Werewolf in London, and he was serious. And I said... No. Are you insane? No. And based on you want to cast me based on that stupid sketch where I know it's you, you find someone who is actually committed to it. I'm just goofing around. Oh wow. Dang. I mean, that's kind of awesome though. I mean, props to you for that. I guess. But... I mean, I am an okay actor. I did win the Amy G Loomis All-Around Award back in 1998. That's right. I did lights for one show and I acted in another. I was the second lead, or maybe the third lead, in Lend Me a Tenor. That's right, kids. Cast me now. Send all the money to me today. Wunderbar. Ah. So, <laughs> the world is weird. Both places where we live. Are you covered in uh, smog and smoke and whatever? What do you, what do you call it? Is smog and fog? Is... Haze. Yeah. Yeah, smoke and fog. It's so fucking thick. Yeah, well, it's hazy right It's just hazy right now. It's not as bad. Uh, like it used to be, but man, when the whole sky was going uh, orange and everything, I had to take the opportunity. Well, and kind of kept it to myself. I uh, ended up like kind of like recording it, but I had uh, Vincent Price's monologue from Thriller playing. In the oh, background. okay. I was listening to uh, Red Skies at Night by um, The Fix over and over. Just the, that creepy, ominous. It, never, it did get red here, though. It got orange, very orange. Did it get red there? Oh, it was orange here. Oh, yeah. But th- either that or uh, Rooster by Allison Chains. Um, that was a good one, too. It just, it's such a weird time. So, I mean, yes, we're obviously dating this episode, but whatever. Um, so, other than that, let's get to the fun stuff because the world is pretty fucked up right now. Let's go back to 1984. We, we usually do four movies uh, an episode. This one, there's so many. I'm looking at the list, and it's just madness. I mean, yes. and this isn't even counting the movies that we've already covered over the years on Video Night with uh, Andrew or, uh, you know, I did four action movies with um, a friend of mine, Rob. It still just leaves me such a goddamn huge list. Uh, so we're going to just do six this episode instead of four. Um, do you want to lead on this one? Because uh, I'll just bounce in and out if you want. You can go ahead and choose the first. or if you remember. Yeah, I'll definitely... I will definitely choose the first. Yeah, it, that's exactly what I was going to point out. Like, there were so many movies to watch. I was watching as many of them as I could. A couple of them, however, I watched enough growing up and have memorized so much of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't I need like, to watch yeah, two of them, yeah. Except Buckaroo Bonsai. I didn't get a chance to watch that yet. I, I only watched bits and pieces as a kid. Right. And that's going to be, that, that'll be for the other show. That no. is definitely a sci-fi show. That will be for Beyond. For sure. 
Okay, so what I did want to start off with was this one was a parody of gangster movies, and it starred one of my favorite actors, Michael Keaton. Johnny Dangerously. Every time I think of this movie, I always think of the beginning. I used to have this tape. This is actually one of the very first tapes I ever received was Dare to be Stupid, and the track was thrown on that album. Oh, that's awesome. That's right. Weird Al did the opening song to this. Ain't this a lie? I almost forgot. Yeah, I know, dude. That was pretty awesome. Um... Again, just the way it plays out, you know, it starts off with Michael Keaton, you know, busting this kid in his in his pet shop, you know, about to steal a puppy, <laughs> and you know he's telling him his whole life story, and of course, you know, kind of breaking the fourth wall, you know, when the wavy part comes up, it's like this is a little flashback. It happens every time we go back to the past. All right, so let's get back to it. Oh, I love it. immediately uh, okay. after that they have the year on the screen, and the car runs over the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, just full of so many like memorable gags and lines here and there, especially from Joe Piscopo uh, as the villain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't hit me in the balls, Johnny. <laughs> My sister kicked me in the balls once. Once. You know, I saw this in the theater when I was a kid. This was uh, My dad was working for the newspaper at the time, and every year there was two free showings. So, and I oh, believe wow. This, this is the first one we ever attended, I believe. Um, the first one might have been Karate Kid. I can't remember. But um, we went to see this. It was a Christmas uh, movie. And uh, went to the theater. The whole family went. And uh, I, I feel like I saw a different version of this where there was nudity in one scene with Danny DeVito. But I think that might be just my perception because my mom had me close my eyes. Um, so I, I assumed it was nudity. I have, I've only seen this movie one other time uh, other than just you know this week. Yeah, no, that's pretty weird. I mean... There really wasn't any nudity. There was that little story uh, and um, kind of public service announcement regarding the testicle scene. Oh, right, yeah. You know, the Johnny's trying to get his brother Tommy to go back. I gotta Johnny get laid. I'm go going crazy. <laughs> like, come on, kid. <laughs> let, let me show you something. He gives that little testicle, like everybody's balls in that video are swollen up. <laughs> well, and it's funny is Michael Keaton is really doing an homage he's talking like this the whole time just really just uh, hey really big wide mouth and uh, with a, the accent and um, he's not yes. playing this usual like fast he's tagney yeah 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 totally yeah of course yeah because it was a tribute to the whole gangster movie and you know one of the best way to do it is just do like a comical satire of it yeah and it <laughs> Or heck, even that one part where it's like the Roaring Twenties when he's young and he's in the hallway and he's dancing. The next thing you know, he starts break dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been three. Yeah. Oh. As far as I know, there's been three gangster parodies. It was this in '84, uh, Jane Austen's Mafia in 1998 with Jay Moore, um, and then there was The Godson with uh, Kevin McDonald, Dom DeLuise, and Rodney Dangerfield. And all three of them are actually fairly oh, decent. Wow. There's a lot of material to mine from. This one is, of course, the classic version. It's, it's not the Godfather era. Um, it's not Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola influence. It's influenced by the old Warner Brothers programmers that they had back in the 30s, 40s, like you said with James Cagney. Absolutely, yes. Oh, God, I forget the other guy's name. Edward G. Robinson was a big one, too. Yes! He's the one who came up with the whole C uh, accent, which is what, like, you know, anybody doing a commercial like involving some kind of gangster or something like that they always do the whole uh edward g robinson uh you know yes it's like uh we don't got any id we don't have to show you no id she you know yeah stuff like that your mugs and, exactly 
Um, and again, yes, just even little bits and pieces here and there, like, you know, <laughs> pretty much almost all the problems uh, that he comes across uh, are solved with, all, solved with money. Here, go buy yourself a new hip. Here, go buy yourself this. <laughs> And he's, oh, like a good gang- he's a good gangster. Even with Peter Boyle, yeah. they still want to kind of ride the line of being decent citizens. They use that money to help their community. And they don't do, like, these hard crimes. But then they got this one guy. I can't remember. I don't know who the actor is. But uh, he's kind of muscling in on his turf. And to this day, I swear to God, on a, on a, a monthly basis, I'll just say, like, you fucking an arsehole. <laughs> uh, I said that so many times as a kid, yeah. He plays crime boss Maroney. Oh god, playing Farging Ice Hole. <laughs> Your son beat you. <laughs> Your son beat <laughs> But he just mangles the the cursing. But uh, that that just to my to no end is hilarious to me. I didn't realize how many people were in this though because when I saw Peter Boyle, I was like, I don't remember this at all. Danny DeVito, I barely had a memory of. Uh, Mary Lou yeah. I didn't remember her. Griffin Dunn, I didn't know he was in this. This is right after American War of London. And uh, he was more of an independent kind of actor um, who ended up becoming a, a really good director. Uh, so he was only in a few studio movies like this and My Girl. And other than that, he's been really independent. So it's kind of fun seeing him be silly like this. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it, who else I noticed was in it? Uh, Alan Hale Jr. He was at Death Sergeant. Oh, right. Yeah, call, uh, calling out cars. And who else do we have in here? Oh, uh, Ray Walston, who always kept getting hit by the newspaper. Oh, like, yes, that's right. I'm blind. I I'm deaf. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I, I can see, I can hear, but who am I? <laughs> There's always something wrong every time he got hit with the newspaper until at the end, he was A-OK. Yeah. Oh, and Ron Carey played, uh, I think, Peter Boyle's dr- getaway driver. No, oh, no, no, that was Dick Buckus, the worst, funniest name I've ever seen in my life. Dick Buckus. No, Ron Carey. Yes. Who'd you say? Ron Carey was the detective who kept... Uh, no, he's the doorman who kept uh, uh, asking him how his mother was and kept getting paid for it. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, Ron Carey, who's, of course, uh, close friends and like always working with Mel Brooks. You could see him uh, since High Anxiety. Yeah, I feel like I saw him in a lot of TV shows. He was a cop in something. I want to say it was Barney Miller. Am I wrong? Mm. Ron Carey. I'm going to look it up right uh, now. I feel like he was a, a, like a, yeah. not a regular, but like... Uh, he, he was just uh, reoccurring constantly. Let me look. Yeah, he, uh, he was. Barney Miller, he was on 121 episodes. Well, shit, then I guess he was oh, a regular. Oh, wow. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, Richard Dimitri, that was the guy who played Boss Maroney. But, oh, man. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help but go back to that scene where um, Tommy Kelly's, like, you know, questioning him regarding the Tommy gun, and then he throws in that trick question of the trains meeting at the point A and point B, and then he just jumps up and yells, that's a Farragut question! <laughs> Farragut. <laughs> okay, so I'm looking, no, but- the guy who wrote this, is, the main writer, is Norman Steinberg. I know that name, and he, I am certain he wrote Blazing Saddles. Let me look. He did. He was one of the writers for Blazing, Blazing Saddles. Okay. Mostly TV well, stuff here. Uh, oh, he did Wise Guys in a couple years later. Doctor, Doctor, that's why I know his name. Have you ever seen Doctor, Doctor? Have you ever heard of it? Uh, it does sound awfully familiar. Do you know who Matt Frewer was? He was uh, Max Headroom? Yes. Yes, I know who Matt Frewer is. Okay, so uh, right after Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, he had a lot of heat on him. So they cast him on a TV show in, on CBS called Dr. Doctor, where he was a really high-wired kind of goofball doctor, but he was a genius. Everybody just tolerated his excessive, uh, you know, erratic behavior, and wow, it was never a hit. 
but it was so loved by the, the the core fans and the critics that they just kept renewing it. It only lasted 39 episodes, but it was on for like four years. So they did like 13 episodes. It got canceled, renewed, canceled, renewed, canceled, renewed. Oh, wow. So all, it was just I wish I could find them for you because it's well. a really hard to find show. Hmm. But the director of this, Amy Heckerling. Oh, uh, yes. I think this was like after her success of Fast Times at Ridgemont High as a director. Uh, she also directed uh, European Vacation. That's why I recognized her name. Yeah, she must have got European Vacation because of this. Because I don't see the connection. It's so strange that she got this after um, Fast Times because they're so wildly different. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. God, there is a whole different tone. And 82 was, of course, when teen movies just started to sprout. I think this one helped it. My God. And her timing and comedic presence... Uh, it's just absolutely perfect for this movie. I mean, especially with Mary Lou Henner, with, um, you know, kind of like the little banter between Michael Keaton and, um, and, oh gosh, why am I going to repeat her name? Yeah, between her and, between the banter between them two, it was just, you know, it just flowed naturally. You know, she wasn't too easy. And, of course, when she got to know him and uh, eventually marry him throughout the movie, oh yeah, it was just, uh, you, it's like you can't help but want to see them out in public. Yeah, together. it's it's um, I think she's one of those lost movie stars. She was in Taxi, and she kind of had some heat. She did a few yes. movies after this, but then she just disappeared for a while. And it seemed like she made a lot more attention doing those health videos. She still, to this day, I believe, does the uh, uh, you know healthy eating, healthy living. You know, you're getting older, but you can still have fun. That kind of uh, living. And right. instead of focusing on the acting, and, and, and let's be, be honest with each other, uh, Hollywood treats older women terribly. Um, it's very rare when they get to treat them nicely into their 40s and 50s. They usually just toss them away. Uh, so it's nice well, to see that she's bitch. still around. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, but no, it is. Uh, she was in an episode of Party Down, and she was helping older people get. I think it was That's like, it, yes, Party the- Down. It was in my head, and I was trying to remember. Was that something I saw on television, like one of those paid commercials, or was that on a TV show? It was Party Down. I. It was, yeah. It was like a meta version of what she does. <laughs> so it just played out perfectly. Oh, I loved her in that movie with, um... Oh, God, it was Christopher Reeve. Um, oh, gosh. Michael Caine. Uh, oh, it, the Ritter. one where he's a writer in their um, same room. It's like all. It's like a stage play. What the hell is that called? It's not Sleuth. Uh, death Game? Death? Shit, we're, we're just going to be sitting here awkwardly. Okay, so let's move on. <laughs> I can remember. Okay. All right, no. Okay, next movie. Of course, this was like a big hit, and uh, especially for uh, Eddie Murphy. And this is what I think one of the movies that made him a big star. This and 48 Hours, Beverly yeah, Hills well, Cop. saved his fucking career because he was red hot after 48 Hours in Trading Places, and Paramount had a contract with him, and they said, hey... Um, we have you signed to this many pictures. We have an offer for you um, that will eliminate one of the contract, and it's called um, Best Defense. The movie's already done. Um, it's not working. Whatever it is, it's just not working, but we put a lot of money into this, so we're going to pay you a million dollars for like two days of work. And he's like, the script's terrible, but a million dollars? Fuck yeah. And then they, he didn't know that they were going to put him on the poster, that they were going to push him as the co-star, even though he's in like ten minutes of it. and it would just He's like literally improving the most of it. And um, he thought his career was wow. over with. He signed back on to be on SNL because he thought that would help him. And he even says it in the intro. He goes, yeah, I was in a shitty movie called Best Defense, so I decided to sign up with uh, Saturday Night Live again. And uh, 
Lo and behold, two weeks earlier, uh, Beverly Hills Cop came out, and it's a, ma- a smash hit, so I kind of want to get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, seriously, his timing, his attitude, uh, there is some sense of drama to it, considering, like, the plot of it. You know, he just comes back after uh, this um, sick, big old, like, kind of smuggling bust, and, of course, Chief chews him out. He comes back, his old high school friend, like, breaks into his house, is eating, and next thing you know... You know, after a night out, if they're talking and, you know, discussing things, he comes back, gets knocked out, and then his friend, he wakes up next to his friend, uh, his friend, dead. And so he goes all the way to Beverly Hills just to get to the bottom of it, because that's where his friend was working. And just the way it all plays out from, like, you know, him, like, being determined to, like, you know, find out who killed his friend and why, uh, just the way it, uh, the jokes just, like, kind of pop up and he... <laughs> He manages to improvise it with it so well. It just flows naturally to him. Yeah, like no, the people in the like uh, thriller outfits, like he, as soon as they walk by, he's just laughing hysterically. Well, the thing I think about when um, this movie came out, I, saw, I also saw this in the theater. How fortunate was I? This is a, this is the time in my life where I'm going to see a lot of these in the theater. Um, what what is shocking to me is that originally they hired Sylvester Stallone. This is not new. Everybody knows this. So they hired Sylvester Stallone to write it, but he wrote it so dead serious. It's like, this is not what we wanted. What did you think they were going to get? He's not funny. And then he went to go do Rhinestone to prove that he was funny, and he didn't. It was a fucking mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I did not know that. Yeah, and he took his script over, and uh, that's what Cobra is. Um, which is weird because if it's based oh, wow. on... If, if he's hired to write Beverly Hills Cop, then why is Cobra based on a book called Fair Game, which also got remade ten years later with uh, Billy Baldwin and, uh, oh, damn it, the, the model, Cindy Crawford. Um, it's one of the most confusing things, but clearly they, the Bruckheimer knew. Simpson and Bruckheimer knew this was the wrong person, so they went to get uh, you know Eddie Murphy, who was cheaper than Stallone, and could bring the funny as well as balance the serious because he kind of proved that with 48 Hours. And the balance yes. in this one is better than any of the other movies. I love part two, but part two has a lot of flash. And it has some serious action films uh, uh, setups in it. And the third one oh, has the third one has terrible action. Eddie Murphy doesn't seem like he's interested at all, and the tone is wildly off because it's directed by a guy who's comedic. And I don't think we'll ever discuss three. Maybe if I'm in a charitable mood, but uh, yeah, the first one is just so rock solid. <laughs> and, and oh my god. Uh, speaking of Fast Times at Richmond High, how great is Billy Rosewood? A, a, a Judge Reinhold is phenomenal. And John Aston's great, too. Yes, of course. Oh, my God. I, again, all-around great supporting cast. Just the way he bl- tries to blend in with Beverly Hills. Like, you know, seeing how they're supposed to be by the book, even when, like, uh, what's his name, punched Axel in the stomach. He's like, are you willing to press charges? He's like, wait, what? No, man, I'm fine. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, the way no one, no one, no one, no one ever mentions her. Uh, of the main cast, there's one cast member that everybody forgets about, and she wasn't in any of the sequels, but I thought that Lisa Elbacher as Jenny Summers is fantastic, and she never really had a career, and it's such a shame. Definitely. Uh, yeah, you know, m- mentioning that, it's like, why wouldn't she pop up in the sequel? I mean, especially if she was, like, you know, childhood friends with Axel, and, of course, his friend who was killed earlier in the movie. Yeah, but well, and plus, well, in the sequel, they basically a, a replace her with Bogomil's daughter, and then Ronnie Cox is barely in it, and he's not even in the third one. 
And I just feel like they made a mistake there. Bring him out for that. But his connection in uh, Beverly Hills is Jenny. And she should have been a part of it. I mean, yes, he was still friends with... Well, we'll get to it eventually. But I, I really think that dropping her from the movie was a terrible idea. Definitely. But I will have to say this. Like, regarding... Um, what's this? Oh, gosh. Uh, the art studio clerk, who is always offering the espresso. Uh, Spencer Breslin, I think his name is. Oh, God, what was his name? Well, I'm thinking of the guy from Perfect Strangers. Who are we talking about? Yes. Oh, uh, Bronson Pinchot. Sarge. Sarge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just every time when he was talking about, like, the uh, art pops and what's for sale and the price, just discussing that with Eddie Murphy, just... <laughs> he stole the show, definitely. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time I think the world got introduced... No, way. Paul Reiser was in Diner a couple years earlier, so never mind. I was going to say he was introduced in this, but I forgot he was already in that. Yeah, oh, that's right. Oh, gosh. Like, he was that worrisome, like, detective, like, oh, my God, the chief's going to chew your ass out. Oh, my God. And then he did. Speaking of Inspector Todd, give him a fucking award posthumous. Uh, is that how you say it? Posthumously? Uh-huh. Posthumously. Thank you. I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's okay. So am I. I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about either. I forgot Bronson Pinchot's name. Yeah, I, I love <laughs> Inspector Todd. He's, he is the fucking MVP of part two. I love him. <laughs> But yeah. um, let's I have to the villains. So part two. The villains. Uh, yes. Stephen Burkoff, uh, Victor Maitland. Every time, that is one of those really memorable names. And then Jonathan Bakes, just busting out, becoming like one of the big uh, character actors of the eighties and nineties. Well, hell, he's still a character actor because of Breaking uh, Bad, right? Yes, that's one of the movies he was definitely known for. And Jonathan Bakes. Oh, he was also the voice of James Gordon in the Batman Arkham Knight video game. Really. That's cool. Yes. Oh, yeah. definitely. I know Stephen Burkoff because the next year he is the villain in uh, Rambo First Blood Part 2. Oh, wow. Oh, that's right. Well, that's interesting. Oh, like okay, big... hold on a second. I, I forgot about Rambo this. 3. So I mentioned Fair Game earlier. Uh, guess what? He's the villain in Fair Game. <laughs> 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 Holy shit. Oh, man. That's awesome. Yes. Oh god! But yeah, this is all around just a great movie, and you can see why it's a classic. Oh god, I just love when they go into the strip club because they're following Axel, and <laughs> Axel's on, getting them to relax, and just the way he's dancing around, just kind of moving the vibe, messing with them, like yeah. putting a smile on their face. <laughs> At no point is he a bad cop, though. At no point he proves it because he's paying attention to what's going on. He stops that robbery while they're all just like, "Why are we here? This is so uncomfortable." And uh, I'm not Gerald Ford. Stop it. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. There was one scene I liked with Judge Reinhold where he's like, you know, I was just reading something in here about, like, how the digestive system could take, you know, up to so many years to dissolve red meat. He's like, and? He's like, well, you've been eating a lot of red meat lately. <laughs> <laughs> just even little stuff like that. Like, he's concerned for his partner. He seems like a nice guy. But yeah. when it comes to, like, you know, the shootout scene at the end, oh, he fucking goes all out. I love when they try to get his ass over the the fence and he can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Okay, yeah, classic physical this, comedy. Because he's the heavier guy. Yeah, this is one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. This is one that we played in our car all the time. Uh, listen to these tracks, and I know them by heart. The heat is on by Glenn Frey. Come on, that is yeah. all all time classic. Pointer Sisters with a Neutron Dance. 
Stir It Up by Patti LaBelle. I literally sang that wor- at work what, like a week ago. I was like, stir it up. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Uh, new- I always thought it was called Hysteria as a kid. Oh, really? Uh, new Attitude, uh, of course, was another big hit for her. Um, don't Get Stopped in Beverly Hills by Shalimar. Why do I know Shalimar? Is that the one who we don't have to take uh, clothes off? Is that the guy? No, that's Jermaine Stewart. Oh, who is Shalimar? I know him for something. Shalimar, I know. There's so many songs they've done, and I should know them. We, I think we discussed them on, like, uh, the songs of the 70s. Oh, Dancing in the Sheets. I bet you that's it from Footloose. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. Um, but also, uh, Danny Elfman. I think this is the first con- – no, I forgot he was in Fast Times Original High. But this is his first solo mm-hmm. track, Gratitude. I know that like the back of my fucking hand, too. I didn't even know he sang it because it's so different than Oingo Boingo. Oh, no, yeah. He definitely sets off a different tone when he's not with them. And, of course, Alex uh, Left. Fucking great theme song. Oh, my God. By by Vince DiCola, who did uh, the soundtrack for Rocky IV. Uh, no, Harold Faltemeyer did. For, uh, did Axel F. He did oh, the, he did? Yeah, he did the Fletch. He only did a few movies. I know he did this, he did Fletch, and he did Tango and Cash. And I, I, I can't remember any others that he did. What else did Vince DiCola do? Then? I don't know who Vince DiCola is. I think he just made up a name. Did you throw down a Scrabble yeah. board and just pick random letters? No, wait. I think he did the Transformers soundtrack. I thought oh. he did this too. I'm wrong. Gary Tundesson Far. <laughs> no, Vince DiCola was the composer for Rocky IV. Oh, okay. Huh. I think. Yeah, I think it might have been part three. Hearts on fire. I always remember that from Rocky IV. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a quite a motivational song. I mean, it there was. were so much motivational songs for part four. It's yes, Beverly awesome Hills Cop is definitely the gem here. This would rule. It came out of Christmas, and it would rule the box office for like the next six months. Can you imagine that happening today? Six months? Yeah. Maybe, oh. maybe a year. I don't know, but it seemed like back then the movies were just around forever. When I was a kid, E.T. was in the theaters for a year. Batman 1989 came out in June. It was still in theaters when it hit video in November. I remember this. It was in the dollar theaters. Wow. Well, I mean, of course, that would make sense. I mean, with the video production these days, you know, it's definitely sped up. Yeah. Well, that and social media. Social. Well, there's many reasons. Social media can ruin a movie because they talk about it too much. They give away plot points. Um, advertising dollars are more than they ever have been before. So they see, hey, we spend the money uh, for a movie that came out in June. It comes out in video in September. We don't have to spend that much more money because it's still fresh in people's minds. Right. I mean, four fucking years. Four fucking years for Gremlins, I think, to come out on video. Good God. I think we waited five for E.T. because they used to re-release these movies over and over. That might be it. Beverly Hills Cop might got re-released, and that's what I'm thinking. Because I bet you they did a big boost uh, for spring break. Oh, okay. Yeah, especially during times like that, you'll probably, you know people will want to go out and go see a movie. Yeah. What is two hundred and fourteen yeah, million dollars in today's money? That has to be like seven hundred million. I mean, that's how it tells you how big Beverly Hills Cop was. Oh yeah, no, I don't doubt that. Holy shit, man! But uh, again, an absolute classic, and it, as you said, saved Eddie Murphy's career. Yeah. Oh. Um, next movie. Uh, oh gosh, this was definitely another childhood favorite. I would just always watch these late at night or on, like when we had premium uh, cable on HBO. It's of course one of Val Kilmer's earliest films, and just goes to show how he's like a great comedic actor. He has timing, and he has you know the humor, the charm, and everything. 
uh, Top Secret, which is another uh, Zucker Brothers, like the same guys who've done Naked Gun and Airplane. Yeah, so they, they did Airplane, and they skipped out on Airplane, too, because they said they had been there, done that. So they went to go to create the uh, TV show Police Squad, and that got canceled. So, like, we got to make a movie soon before everybody forgets about us. Oh, my God, look at this. Okay, hold on. I'm going to go back one step. Okay, so Beverly Hills Cop made $316 million worldwide. It opened at only $15 million. That tells you the difference in, in how movies are treated now, where everybody has to rush out immediately. Wow. Yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, so Top Secret, they're like, we gotta get back Top to movies Secret. immediately, and sadly, this was a huge flop. It, uh, it really didn't do anything for them, and they were lost for a while. Oh man, really? Yeah. Oh, wait, didn't Nick Clement just post about this? I feel like he did. I'm, probably. He, t- well, he, well, how can you keep track? He posts a movie every single day, I can't catch up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense, man, we love you for it. Don't get us wrong, Nick. No, he's off. Uh, he's officially launching. He's uh, producing his first movie. I'm so proud of him. He's been pushing for it for a long time. Oh, that is, that's awesome. I know. I did read up on that uh, not too long ago. Oh, gosh. And I recognize two of those actors, too. Uh, it's uh, Anyway, uh, back to Top Secret. It was a parody on, like, you know, wartime, you know, MASH, Hogan's Heroes kind of movie it's like you know. cold war it post world war ii but cold war meets surf movie meets uh teeny bopper film yes like 1950s rock era uh some of the again i will have to say some of the uh dance and song sequences they actually had they were actually really catchy as a kid oh yeah how know, silly can you get i sing that all the time <laughs> oh no i just love how he's performing live on stage he's like i'm sorry Oh, I'm sorry that I was having a meet to your mama. And he's like getting on these rail tracks, like all these props are popping up out of nowhere. Uh, but again, just the way it plays out, like, you know, all the jokes, all the gags. Uh, there's one in particular when he's like meeting that um, the German spy who's like trying to get her father out of the, the prison. <laughs> uh, there's a little dancer doing, they're like all formal and nice. And then they just do this absolute <laughs> thing. and then they're just like uh, I think in the director's commentary they said like they had to do so many takes oh god but the gags the gags per minute are so high I mean it never really lets up a lot of spoof movies they throw whatever at the wall and most of the jokes fail you have, if you have a 25% success rate with a spoof movie, you're, you're golden. This probably has a 75%. I think it has a higher percentage rate than uh, Airplane. Oh, gosh, yeah. I thought it was going a lot faster than Airplane. Yeah, and they're difficult Honestly. jokes. That backwards joke with Peter Cushing? Holy shit. Oh, wait. Oh, that's right. Um, when they're, like, going up the pole. Yeah, when they're, like they're going backwards, backwards and he has that huge eye. So that's a gag on top of a gag. The underwater fight sequence, which goes on forever, is extremely <laughs> difficult. Everything in this is so complicated. The, 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 when he meets the resistance, and they have to have the timing perfect. So they they're, they're say the guy's name, and then they have a, a saying or whatever. My favorite is yeah. uh, Deja Vu. Have we not met before? <laughs> yes, there's Deja Vu. Uh, then everybody's like named after dessert, like there's chocolate mousse. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, and then there's the action sequence after that, and they're literally doing things like tic-tac-toe in the window and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, what about the pizza joke? Because that one is so complicated because there's cheese being pulled all the way around the scene in the background, and you got to make sure you're not tripping oh, yeah. over anybody, that you're capturing the moment. 
I, I really think it's one incredibly intricate, difficult comedy, and it just didn't hit with audiences at all. And I know, oddly enough, and Val Kilmer actually sang those songs. Yeah. Let's um, not forget that. Where, what is it I'm thinking oh. of? Uh, because of this, though, he got uh, Real Genius, which also was a bomb. So it's amazing he having a career, but apparently they both blew up on video. <clears throat> Excuse me, blew up on video. And uh, other directors had seen it and said, holy shit, we got to cast this guy. No, absolutely, yeah. He does, he is, like, perfect for this comedy. And I hope we can discuss that uh, for 1985. Yeah, we will. Uh, uh, this is his good. first movie. Um, my professor in college, the technical theater professor, told me oh, wow. when he was younger, he used to live in Texas, and he used to do... Um, the Mark Twain show that Hal Holbrook would do. And oh, wow. he worked on all the makeup for him. And do you know about this? Hal Holbrook has done like you know 10,000 performances as Mark Twain. It's what he's known for. Oh, it's like that one-man show of Mark Twain. Yeah, Val Kilmer yeah. does that as well. Yeah, he does it because Val Kilmer, one of his very first theatrical jobs was on that show. Like he was uh, working oh. on it behind the scenes and learning how to act from Hal Holbrook. He became like... Uh, his mentor so when Hal Holbrook retired that's why Val Kilmer played Mark Twain so many times he did it in a few movies but he did it on stage of course sadly he had cancer and uh, had that surgery so he can't talk anymore but uh, he really tried to hold up that legacy so I wonder if he's training somebody else to hold up the Mark Twain legacy yeah I'm hoping so that would be great to keep that going I mean especially for as part of uh, American history and literature so I'm looking um, uh, to step back one more time while we're doing this. I looked it up. So in today's money, Beverly Hills Cop would have made, um, in America alone, $617 million. It was in theaters for 20 weeks before it was taken out and then put back in. 20 weeks. Wow. That's, that's five straight months. Wow. Yeah, no, that's nuts. Yeah. Oh, you know what else was noticed was in Top Secret was um, Ian McNeese and Omar Sharif. Oh, yes, Ian McNeese, who, um, what is he known for? He seems like he's in a lot of British movies. Novelty jokes, funny, flat, you know, he was like the ones with the, uh... Souvenirs, novelties, party <laughs> Yeah. No, he was in uh, Ace Ventura. Uh, when oh, yes, thank you. And No Escape Doc. with Ray Liotta. I remember having that, too. Doc Martin. Oh, gosh, yeah, he was in but a bunch of movies. What it's, what, the problem, I think, is, is that it was sold on a cover that you only get... If you've seen the movie already, selling a movie on a cow with boots on is silly, but it doesn't sell the movie. It doesn't tell you what it's about. So the newer cover with Val Kilmer dancing and you see spies and the cow and something like that, it gives you a better idea of what the movie's um, trying to do. Oh, ab- yes. No, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> but again, like some of those parody songs in like, you know, swing dance scenes, like were actually just so well choreographed and perfectly executed. Except for the part where they're like in the diner, the, the guys are just swinging their girls around. You can tell they're dolls. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I love skeet surfing. Oh, that always cracks me up. Oh yeah, it does. Oh no. Oh, and then of course there was like a nod to um, uh, oh gosh, Blue Lagoon. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's who the that's who the main that's who like one of the characters uh, is like referencing to. Of course, he turns out to be the villain later on. Oh, God. Especially when they're in the cow outfit. <laughs> oh, he's walking funny. He's like, no, no, let's wait a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because one baby calf starts, like, thinking of some, thinking of going for his other. <laughs> oh. Bestiality joke. 
Oh, yeah. And then the bull, like, later on mounts him. Well, no wonder Top and Secret like, bombed. It opened up against Gremlins and Ghostbusters. I'm not fucking kidding you. On the 8th, Gremlins and Ghostbusters opened oh. on the same day, both made over $200 million. Top Secret came out, too, so, oh, there's no way. had no chance whatsoever. Well, yeah, bad release timing, so that's why. Still made $20 million. Sense. Wow, I didn't know that. I thought it made a lot less. So, hey, Summer of 84 was amazing. Oh, yeah, no, of course. Oh, gosh. Ghostbusters, I mean... Uh, we we have discussed that. I know we've already discussed Yeah, we did that, a whole man. Ghostbusters episode. That was actually our very first episode of Hit Rewind. Yes. And, of course, not to Ghostbusters, even though it's not on this list. Yeah. We've discussed it before. We love you. Um, my Don't favorite feel neglected. Gag, my all-time favorite gag in Top Secret is so simple but so silly. It's at the end when they're marching him away like Nazis and their boots go flying. It's so absurd, and I cannot stop laughing about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, it's just the way they right, lift their legs so high. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they go so uh, high, the boots just go. <laughs> <laughs> and they just keep going. They take no notice of it. They just keep going. <laughs> yeah, overall, I felt like it did have a good... Oh, gosh. Even that last little joke. Goodbye. Goodbye, Chocolate Moose. Saying goodbye to all the resistance members and saying goodbye, Scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic, yeah. and it should have been bigger. But uh, here's one that it became a cult classic. It did okay in theaters. Um, and it took – I think it's a very particular audience that gets into it. And as I've gotten older, I, re- I enjoy it more. Um, Andrew, my co-host of Video Night, um, is really, really into this movie. And he likes to tell me – plate of shrimp whenever something works out as a coincidence and i never knew what it meant until i watched this again i somehow forgot repo man (laughs) is truly unique there's nothing like it on earth and it's produced by a musician who's like nobody else on earth michael nesmith of the monkeys wow yeah Yeah. holy crap this had to have been an acid trip that's i felt like i was kind of watching a toned down uh trauma film somewhat it was just kind of random. It was out there, you know, the heavy punk element. I mean, even the rest of it was pretty funny. Well, I and think Mary Dean whole... Stanton is fucking hilarious, but in such oh, a God, dry, yes. weird way. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, just all just to repossess this one particular car. Uh, there was just so much. <laughs> well, we have. It's one of these things where it's more slice of life, where they show this kid and he's. Um, lost and he's angry. He doesn't know what to do with his life, and he ends up, you know, quitting his job. And just, uh, just coincidence, something happens. He ends up helping Harry Dean Stanton get a car, and it changes his life. He learns to, you know, be more of a grown up, be more responsible, you know, a focus. And he's with a whole new group of people who, for better or worse, do treat him in a respectful way, but a different. It's not like. Um, it kind of they bust his balls a little bit, but they still he earns their respect, and it's a whole new team of misfits, and I absolutely love it. I love the scenes with Jerry uh, Terry Walters. I think it's his name. He played Bob in Batman. Um, Tracy Walter, yes, Tracy Walter. Uh, the two of them have like these weird side moments where he's spouting philosophy of the world, and he's not really part of the team. He's just like the guy who gets rid of all the shit. And I mm-hmm. he fascinates me. His character is so strange. Oh, absolutely. I know, like, I think he's the one that, uh, in the end of the movie, he takes off with him in the sh- with the in the yeah in the car, which is like this freaking alien vehicle. I'm like, what? Yeah, it's it's a sci-fi movie, but kind of. It, it mostly it's a slice of life comedy um, with some dark edge to it, because like the you know it's a whole punk world thing and, and and on the edge of crime, but 
There's yes. this whole subplot running through the movie of this weirdo guy who's trying to transport a car who's being hunted by FBI people, and that keeps getting more and more into the movie, and by you know the last third or whatever, that becomes the main plot, and that's really fascinating and weird that there's an alien from Area 51 in the back of this car. Oh, yes, that's right. And, like, one of the punks uh, opens up, uh, up the trunk to see what it is. He yeah. gets vaporized. <laughs> and the other two just go on. <laughs> like, nothing happened. Oh, man. It was just, uh <laughs> Yeah, it's not much to say about it because it's, like, one of those personal discoveries. But I miss Emilio Estevez. I was watching Judgment Night yesterday, and I'm just like, he was a force to be reckoned with. And if you look at his early roles and you look at Charlie Sheen's early roles, you would have expected Emilio to be the one who fell apart, not Charlie. <laughs> but, you oh, know, gosh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, Emilio does still show up in movies, but it's only the ones that he directs, and he only does like two a decade. Right. I mean... Do you feel like it would have to be more of a personal thing? Like he just kind of stays away from Hollywood? There was that one he did about um, uh, the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. Right. That whole hotel. Uh, Harry Belafonte was in it, along with Demi Moore. His dad. Uh, Shia LaBeouf. Yes. Yeah, so if I remember correctly, uh, this is the order they go in. Wisdom was his first movie. He um, nearly got to direct, I think, This Is Now, or That Was Now, This Is Then. It's one of those... Um, Yes, yeah, he Hinton's film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he wrote it, but they didn't. They didn't trust him enough to direct it. So he got to do Wisdom next, and then he did Men at Work, um, The War at Home, um, Rated X. Uh, the oh, wow. uh, Bobby was next, I believe. Then um, The Way with his father, which is a really good movie. And then he did The Public, which sat on the shelf for three years, even though it got critical acclaim. No one knew how to sell it because it was about. Uh, he's the head of this library, and there's a horrible storm coming, and all the homeless people want to live there, but the people of the city don't want that to happen, so they fight him. And they actually, uh, he has to make a choice of getting fired, um, and possibly being arrested, or standing up and helping the homeless people. And it, I heard it was just fantastic, but I don't even know where you can find it. I don't even know if it's technically even out yet. Yeah, hopefully it gets released somewhere in the uh, independence uh, screenings. Yeah, hopefully get some Oscar buzz. But then you look at Charlie Sheen, and <laughs> he's drinking Tiger's blood, talking about hookers, and he's just he's a, such a fuck up. And he had AIDS. And he yeah. has AIDS. And I think he raped Corey Haim from what I'm hearing. So, two wildly oh. different brothers. But um, Emilio clearly was the one that was really focused on a varied career. If you look at what they were doing, it looked like Charlie Sheen was just taking whatever paid him the most. Whereas Emilio was like, okay, so I'm going to do this, 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 and this. You know, try to pivot his career around so he didn't get pigeonholed. Right, yeah, he was playing smart moves. I mean, he did, of course. Mighty Ducks definitely helped him for sure. Oh, which is all of them are on Disney Plus now. Right. Well, Mighty Ducks um, was the sole hit in that time period for him. That carried him. Those two, and he agreed to do three if they funded. He did. I think he did part three for free, but Disney had to pay the four million dollars so he could direct the War at Home, which is a really hard to sell kind of movie about a guy with post traumatic disorder coming back from Vietnam. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, definitely indeed. But again, uh, Repo Man, I felt like he, Emilio definitely was able to have more fun with this one. Yeah. Um, uh, the next movie is Revenge of the Nerds. I didn't have to watch this one. I've seen this one so many times. But there is, would you say it's problematic now? Well, it's already problematic, but we never thought about it, I think. Right, yeah. We never thought, I never thought of it in that text up until like now. Like, it's still relevant. 
Yeah, well, like, especially just, with what they yeah, struggle it's, with. It's like three quarters of a great movie, but there's two sequences in there that make me sick. Um, the panty raid sequence ends with them putting cameras in there, which is a complete violation. And then they're staring at them naked, which nauseates me. Um, and the second is the fact that Lewis, he basically rapes her. He doesn't tell her. Yeah, they sell it as, oh, I didn't know nerds were such great lovers. And I'm like, hold on a second. You just had sex with someone you didn't know you were having sex with. You thought you were having sex with Stan. So that's a fucked up moment. And that really holds me back from holding this up as a classic because there's so much great about this movie. Right. Oh, no. Honestly, as far as the thing goes, I mean, it looked like she was at a breaking point with uh, Gabe anyway because he was focused on other stuff and not her. I mean, at, and plus it was a product of its time. Yes, that's the thing. You have to just place it in the 80s. Considering most sex comedies in the 80s, this one is one of the more tasteful, well done. This was, It's so funny. Is this was a tax write-off for Fox. They assumed, oh, wow. They assumed their whole slate of movies in 1984 were going to be huge. And so they said we need – this is what most studios do. They make two lower-budget movies they don't think are going to go anywhere. They do it on purpose so they can use them as tax write-offs in case they have a bunch of hits. So they, they, they had a big budget for Revenge of the Nerds. Most of these teen comedies did not have a big budget. For, for 84, $6 million is a lot of money for a no-name – I mean, Robert Carradine's the only person that was in anything before this, but he wasn't a star. Oh, that's right. No, I mean, because he was in John Wayne films uh, when he was younger. Yeah, so uh, as far as yeah, and Anthony knows. Edwards hadn't broken out yet, and uh, Curtis Armstrong, of course, had just been in, uh, I think, as a side character in Risky Business. So we're talking about yeah. much nobody's, but where they put the money in was the music score, and which is amazing. God, such great songs. Um, Absolutely. And just the actual filming, the, the film quality, the the locations they use are much better than most of these teen movies. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And of course, like, um, just the theme of the film itself, like overcoming adversity and discrimination. Um, like heck, even with them, like going to the Trilams was like kind of a, uh, like pretty much uh, opening kind of thing. Like you know, this, like this was like the kind of stuff that people of color have had to deal with like their entire lives. Yeah. And it's about being brave. Probably, I, they really have a strong message. Well, Anthony Edwards is the heart of this. I really don't think Lewis... Absolutely. Gilbert is who we are. Lewis is kind of like that weird side character, that friend that you have that you kind of appreciate his boldness. Um, and I think that's but what hurts... But when the going got tough... Yeah. But thank God in the second movie is they took the elements of Gilbert that worked and, and added them to Lewis since Gilbert was only in a small part of it. So I think t- part two, which we'll get to, is way better than the first one because they pull back from all that grossness right oh yeah no thinking about it damn well of course like again it being the 80s and like especially the whole college culture jesus yeah well it's not much better i went to college in the 90s hold on a second have we discussed this ever did you go to college uh i went to santa rosa junior college for a couple years oh okay so you did they have fraternities and stuff like that or is it more progressive I felt like it was more progressive. I wasn't aware of any fraternities and stuff like that. We had so many fraternities and they're fucking stupid. It was a, I don't it was a community college. Yeah, I don't understand. Uh, well, I was in a community college too. Uh, Vincennes is a community college, but we had all these fraternities. So it was like a borderline real college. And I got to tell you, I fucking hated all those assholes. And, they, and it's just like, 
There's stupid hazing and the rules and the hatred of nerds and this weird brainwashing. We'll be successful. We stick together. I'm like, oh, you guys are all going to be Republicans. God damn you all. <laughs> Great. Yeah, and they treated people like shit. And so I see a lot of what I had to deal with in this movie. I mean, we got called nerds and faggots, and um, and I'm only saying that word in the context Yeesh. of me being tortured. Okay, I'm not I'm not embracing that word at all. But. You know, and just like I remember, just getting mocked all the time because me and my friends were nerds, and they were th- we were there to have fun. And it's just every time we tried to do something cool, some shithead frat boy would ruin it for us. I hated it. Don't they always? Yeah, it's, it's it was better than high school though, where I got the snot beat out of me. No one ever actually hit me. Right. Oh, okay. Oh no, no, it is terrible to endure. It's like God, why would I want to go to school? I don't want to be around that environment, yeah. especially out in the Midwest. Ugh. But anyway, back to the film. Yeah, this definitely was them like finding their bravery and overcoming and beating them at their own game. Yeah, somewhat, except for the more physical stuff. Of course. Well, no. <laughs> Hold on, uh, Lamar. Um, oh, that. Okay, so he, yeah, Lamar is a difficult character. Yes, it's still 1984. He is very fey, but he is the most outgoing, bravest, uh, and frankly. Yes, they modify it for him athletically, but he's still, he's the athletic one. I love Lamar. He is such a fucking great character. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, Curtis, no, Larry B. Scott. If Larry B. Scott hadn't played him the way he did, like embracing how strong he was, um, I think the character might have sucked. Right. And of course, I just love the javelin throw um, where, uh, <laughs> where he's like, well, Worms is like a uh, master in aerodynamics, so he let he uh, designed the javelin to go with his limp-wristed throwing style, but, which is odd because I mean, again, as you pointed out, Lamar is like the most physical one. He's exercising every day, you know. He's keeping up with his cardio, and he is absolutely fit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and Timothy Busfield. When someone told me who he was, I was like, "There's no way he played Poindexter in Avengers." And there's like, "No, he totally did. He transforms into Poindexter." I love his role. He's so awkward oh, and weird. God. When he gets a boner, okay. So I I saw this in the theater too. Shit, did I see all these fucking movies in the theater? Yeah. <laughs> I was still floating around my dad's ball bag for forty more years, man. <laughs> no, my favorite thing is uh, when. Um, he 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 had a he started to get a boner and I didn't know what it was until many many years later. I just thought he was having a cramp or something because he goes ah, ah, ah. <laughs> when they're watching the uh they're watching the pies uh, the pie made of pies on the camera on the TV. Like, oh no! I thought he had it at the party. I thought he was smoking the weed and the oh, girl no. next to him. They start making out because he starts getting uh, aroused. No, they're smoking weed. He's like, wait, 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 I got it, I got it. And then he just starts laughing. <laughs> and then she's like, point next to you, what the fuck? He's like, oh, all right. <laughs> just like, oh, he's just like, oh, whatever about it. Oh, my oh, God. No, I think the scene that does kill me was, of course, him just, like, learning how to dance and find the groove. <laughs> like, how awkward and... <laughs> Um, my favorite Just sequence is, this, is uh, when they play one foot in front of the other. It's a, a montage sequence where they're cleaning up the house. I love that song. I love watching them. But but Poindexter is attacked by the vacuum of all things. The, ro- the little robot vacuum, yes. Oh, gosh, which suffered a horrible fate near the end of the movie. Before Gilbert was like, that's it. Yeah. Um, oh, but is it when, it, when he's like, uh, oh, Stan Gable's one of the great 80s villains, but thank God he only did it like once in the 80s. Uh, they moved on. He wasn't like uh, Johnny from uh, 
uh, William Zabka, you know, he had to play a villain through most of the 80s. But um, when Ted McGinley pulls up in front of their house and looks at him, and then <laughs> Booger is like, why do they call you Booger? I have no idea. He's <laughs> taking his note. I love when he just goes, what are you looking at, nerd? He's like, yes, that's the line I was going to say. <laughs> Say it, say it, say it. I thought it was my mother's douchebag, but that's back in Ohio. <laughs> oh man, okay, Chris Armstrong, I absolutely love him. I mean, he's definitely the one who is like more uh, what's the word culturally aware, but he's a big perv. Yeah, can't deny that. Well, in the second one is when he really kids his comeuppance because he is a perv, but he gets slapped around a lot. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! And then there's that. Um, Ogre, a classic Donald oh, Gibb. God. I can't believe who Donald Gibb's sister is. Donald Gibb's sister, um, I'm almost certain, is Cynthia Gibb. I'm going to make sure of this before I say this out loud. Uh, you already said it out loud, man. I did. I did. Fuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> you weren't thinking. I'm I so sure his sister was Cynthia Gibb, who was in Death Warrant in a bunch of 80s teen movies. Um... My well, we mostly know him from the Vert Nerds movie, but also Bloodsport, where he apparently has no he does no fighting skill except like punching people just in the face. That's it. <laughs> well, because he's a big, he's a big guy, man. Uh, the last thing I did, I remember seeing him in were some Capital One's commercials where he's a Viking. And oh yeah, yeah, also, I remember uh, those. He was also a criminal, and uh, he was in the Hancock. Yeah, he was one of the co- uh, criminals talking in that therapy group. Man, why did he was I think, one of those guys. Why did I think that he was... How old do you think he was when he made Revenge of the Nerds? Oh, gosh. I would say, like, what? Early 20s? 30. He was 30 years old. <laughs> oh, wow. Dang. See? They're, they look so young that they could play, uh, they could play uh, those characters Holy so shit. well. Holy shit. Robert Carradine was also 30. How the fuck? Andy Edwards, I think, was only about 20. Uh, oh, he my was, God. He was 22. He looked like, again, he looked like such a youngster. Curtis Armstrong was 31. Oh, my God. Wow. And they all played, you know, freshman college kids. Yeah, yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, it's, uh, there's so many classic Oh, yeah, 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 the Grease uh, thing. Yeah, this is a true classic, but there are some difficult ones you're going to have to deal with. But, um... yeah. Speaking of really risque shit, holy fucking crap, Bachelor Party also seemed like a tax write-off for Fox. <laughs> it was a hit. Oh, man. But I think it was only a hit because Splash was so successful that people had so much love for um, Tom Hanks. I think if you – it's like the Teen Wolf rule. Uh, Teen Wolf came out after Back to the Future. That's why it was successful. But it really yeah, does ride on the charm of Tom Hanks because the movie's a fucking mess. It has a lot of really great gags in it, but it, it coherently it just seems like it's a a bunch of random sequences edited together. Somewhat, yeah, you're right. It does kind of go all over the place, but it's ultimately about this crazy, insane bachelor party that you know his friends are trying to throw for him before he gets married to Tony Katane, who actually can somewhat holds her own in this movie a yeah. little bit. She's not a terrible actress. It's just she apparently is very. From what I'm hearing, she's Crazy. very volatile and difficult to work with. Yeah, she's been arrested numerous times for beating people up <laughs> drunkenly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my god, it's like you put the, you know, group, you, you put white snake to shame in their party moods. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Oingo Boingo did the song for this too. Jesus, Oingo Boingo is everyone's Huh? Yeah, they did. Who do you want to be today? Who do you want to be? There's three of their songs. Three. 
wow. They did the song I Bachelor Party, it. Something Isn't Right, and uh, uh, Who Do You Want to Be Today? Who yeah. And, of course, you know who I, lo- who I just loved immensely as a great supporting cast in this was Adrian Zmet. I absolutely loved him in this movie. This is one of my favorite. I mean, I first knew of him from Grease 2. Yeah. But then seeing him in this, I'm like, okay, this is my favorite role of his. Yeah, I knew him from TJ. Comedic. Of course, I didn't watch TJ Hooker, sadly. I was was a bunch of tot. And I watched this late night comedy. If they haven't made a porn parody of TJ Hooker called BJ Hooker, I'm going to be very disappointed. I don't know. I'd be just like, shit, why haven't they done that now? Damn. I'd be surprised (laughs) if they didn't. But yeah, um, just. So again, so many jokes, so many moments. Oh god, the uh, the main villain. Um, I forget his name. Oh, he's the bad guy he was, from Real Genius, which was also written by. Um, so Neil Israel is the director of this. He co-wrote right. Real Genius, and yeah, he's the villain in that. I can't remember his name in that, but he's the one with the weird braces. You know, he talks really funny. And just, Kent. Kent, thank you. God is very ashamed of you, Kent. <laughs> we can see what you do. <laughs> a very naughty boy. But yeah, I, uh, I forget his name in this one. Not Teddy, is it? Uh, I'll have to look it up. Um, but I'm just thinking about, like, he was only in a few movies, and he was always so sleazy, annoying. Um, William Tepper, I think, is his name. Stanley? Was it Stan? That's not right. Yeah, no, I'm... that's an older guy. I think it was, let's see, Robert Prescott? Is that him? Yes, Robert Prescott. Okay, yeah, that's his name. Oh, God. Uh, seriously, that... Most of the time in this movie, his famous, I think his most famous line, he just repeated it over again. He was just saying, shit, 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 oh, shit, shit, <laughs> shit. The were working out. I can't believe oh, yeah. how he, he had to hang from a fucking, uh, whatever, harness to look like sheets with his ass hanging out. I don't know if that was a stunt person, um, but I don't think it was. Uh, but that, it took a lot of balls to do that sequence, literally and figuratively. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> or just like when he like falls down, is like and like those that couple's about to kiss, and then they end up kissing his ass. Oh yeah! So oh, my god, to me those actors had to kiss a butt. Um, but I want to say there's an MVP of this too is Wendy Jo Sperber, who we know from tons of movies. She was in Booze and Buddies, and she was in 1941. Uh, she's one of you Back to the Future. Back to the Future. I love Wendy Jo Sperber. She's so funny in this, and I just sadly that she died somewhat young, and she never really got a big shot um, in the 90s. Uh, but yeah, she no. just sells this one. She's so fun, and, and her and her husband are so ridiculous together. Oh yeah! Oh my god! I just love how um, uh, she's all like kind of like hesitant and like uh, as far as like getting revenge on the bachelor party when um, the hookers that were ordered for Tom Hanks's party end up at Tony Katane's. And uh, holy shit, that sequence! To- oh my god! They start they bring out the double sided dildo. And I'm like, oh my god! Oh uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no. But then they end up going to uh, Chippendales, and then like she gets pulled onto the stage with the dancer and then she starts getting into it and getting all like uh, ravenous and <laughs> the hot dog <laughs> over the, 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 the hot dog switcheroo I remember that oh, forever Nick the dick oh boy <laughs> Um, but I think who else is that? Oh, uh, this is Michael Dudikoff, um, who is known for straight up action movies like American Ninja, and he's really wacky and silly in this. And it's so strange seeing him like this because he's so stoic in all the action movies after this. 
Oh God, yes, it, precisely. In this one, he's just like absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> or like when they're trying to get the donkey in the front room, it's like, oh, okay. that's like, fucking sequence. Holy shit! I can't believe they even had that in the movie. I can't. I know they got away with it too. Oh like, my dang, god. But, the funny thing is, it's like, it's like, how are we going to get him in there? It's like, I don't know, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the horse eats uh, all the drugs. Holy shit. <laughs> Look, there's, there's oh, a yeah. part of no. me, there's a part of me that when there's a transphobic sequence, if you want to call it that, where the nerdy little guy um, sleeps with this woman and finds out later it's a man. Look, uh, you could call it transphobic, I'm not sure what, but... Here's the thing is, you found out you were sleeping with somebody you didn't want to sleep with. I think that would make anybody nauseous, man or woman. So I, I think that's a big part of it. I don't want to say that it's it, it's hard. It's plus it it's was, the 80s. It was just, a, yeah, it was, it, it was the 80s and it was a situational kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, he just like rips off his shirt and just lets out that yell. That yell of his. That <laughs> 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 but yeah, uh, just the way it all played out to like, you know, going professional party, being busted up by the cops because of all the noise complaints, to uh, going to the movie, that fight scene. Oh, that was so much fun. Theater. Oh, yeah, I know. That was definitely one of the more fun moments. <laughs> there, there is one character that I fucking hated in this, and I wish they erased him. He wasn't even important. Was the guy who screams and slams beers against his head, played by Barry Diamond. I thought his character oh, yeah. was useless. Who was funny though? Who should have had more time? And I'm trying to find his name here, but he's the one who was suicidal. That was falling apart. Was it Brad? Was Brad the one? Brad, Brad Mullen. Yeah, that, that's who, yeah. Brad Peckerhead. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> some of those moments though where he's like watching the family movie and then later on in the bus as they're trying to save uh, Tom Hanks' uh, fiance from the villain he just he starts pining and crying I killed him <laughs> <laughs> when you did that the microphone spiked when people listen to this episode that's where it goes blah, 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 blah. there's feedback and so <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah this the, du- yeah, the double whammy though if it hadn't been for Splash and Bachelor Party I really don't know what would have happened to Tom Hanks because the next year it was not successful for him because the man with one red shoe bombed and it was really boring and Volunteers was noble in its effort but it's boring as well and the mm. the fact that Splash and Bachelor Party made so much money it helped him carry into 1986 which I cannot wait to talk about Nothing in Common and The Money Pit which are two of his finest films uh, of this era when back when he was silly oh yes of course and now Bachelor Party I just goes to show he can do um oh excuse me he can do like you know like no holds barred like really raunchy comedy yeah he's but he's so charming everything he does is so sweet and weird and there's never any harm in what he's doing so some of the jokes can go like pretty much to the edge but he's so nice that he brings it back it's like a cushion for the blow absolutely oh just like when um like near the beginning of the movie when he's getting his blood drawn by his brother and then he goes and meets his sister-in-law. And, you know, she's, of course, just gave... Uh, she just checked someone's um, prostate. And he's, like, trying not to, like, you know, have her touch him. As yeah. He's like, I've got to go and get the hookers. <laughs> hookers. Did I say hookers? Oh, God, no. I didn't mean to... I didn't say that. I meant something else. Because he just didn't want her to touch him. He's a school bus driver too, which is a likable position because anybody who has the patience to do that can deal with the madness of this party. 
Oh god, yes. I mean, come on. Like, and even he even encourages the kids to be to like mess around, especially if they're you know a bunch of Catholic school kids. <laughs> I just love how he like when he shows up to the nun, he's like, "Okay, I've got a very good excuse this time." <laughs> <laughs> and he says, "You know what? I shouldn't have saved that infant. That drowning infant." <laughs> Pretends to cry. So on the next episode, obviously, we're going to have another Tom Hanks movie splash. We have Police Academy. We have so many great movies. We're going to dip into something beyond comedies that we're going to be discussing, like Flashpoint and Tank. So the next episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to mix up the genres, and I don't know if we'll be able to finish it, too. It'll probably be three episodes. So this is epic journey for us. Jacob, thank you so much. I put you through a lot, and I appreciate everything. Ah. Oh. Hey, dude, I enjoy these movies. You're, you didn't put me through anything. All, yeah. I, all you did was bring joy. Yeah, and you didn't have to pay for any of them, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, some of them are on demand. Some yeah, I had to go hunt down Johnny Dangerously. That was the only one that I didn't have access to. I know. Oh, gosh, I could have sworn I thought I had that on Blu-ray or DVD somewhere. All right, everybody, so that is it. Check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind. I've got a headache, and i got to take my dog out to the bathroom because I can hear her fidgeting. Um, i got to go, too. Yeah, stay oh. safe. God, I hope you're not affected by the fires like we are. Uh, that's it. Just have a good night and uh, be excellent to each other. Jacob, send us out. Namaste and good luck, my friends. This episode we'll be discussing Sonic the Hedgehog animated cartoon and Donkey Kong Country. I'm your host, Michael, and my co-host as always. What's up, Jacob? Hey, hey, hey. What's going on, everybody? Okay, everybody. So, um, last summer we kind of discussed a handful of video game cartoons, but obviously we realized, you know, we're going on like our sixth episode now of discussing this. We should probably pause for a while. So, you know, we're, we're doing Sonic now in honor of his 25th anniversary and Donkey Kong Country just because it's just it's another video game cartoon we can add on to this. There's no real special reason. <laughs> True. Plus, we already talked about, like, you know, his old, his dad, Donkey Kong. You know, the old Donkey Kong from, like, uh, the 80s. Right. Hey, well, in, in Donkey Kong uh, Jr., which was part of Su- uh, Saturday Super K, which he discussed last summer. But I figured, hey, let's throw this in. Uh, Earthworm Jim will be another one we discuss later. Um, I have that special save for someone else. Sorry, Jacob. Oh, it's okay. And, uh, what, I can live. What else do we have? We have a Double Dragon cartoon. Uh, there was a Mutant Football League cartoon. Um, Wing Commander. I feel like there's a yes, commander. there's also... Um, let's see. We talked about Q-Bird. We already talked about Captain N. We also talked about... I don't know, Crash Bandicoot never had a cartoon. I, I think he had a special, and of course there's the Battletoad special, which has become legendary for us because we couldn't Kirby. see Kirby. There, there is Kirby. I was thinking about doing this one for Sonic, but I watched Kirby, and I thought it was painful. Have you ever seen it? Yes, I used to watch it. It was so cutesy-wootsy, because you were of the right age uh, when that came out. I was not. I was like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> oh, God, no, I don't blame you. I mean, it was kind of cool because it was part of that huge uh, Fox Cube block thingy with uh, Ultimate Muscle and all that shit. Yeah, I, I never played the games. Did you ever play Kirby? Yes, I did. I even hacked it on an emulator in my phone. It's pretty entertaining, and he was also fun to play as in Smash because he could absorb everybody's powers and use them. 
You know, speaking of retro games, uh, we were talking about this last summer during the video game marathon episodes that we did uh, was Pixels. We thought Pixels was going to be a massive hit, and it turned out to be only okay at the box office. I think it cleared well overseas, but uh, I actually watched it. Did you watch it yet? No, I'm not sure I should. I, I feel like... I feel like it should be treated like the Ark of the Covenant. Just close your eyes and wait till it's over. Okay, so you don't care. So I'm going to tell you something real quick. The first hour and a half is fine, but then there is something that happens the last 20 minutes and you think everything's okay, and they reveal something that makes no sense to me, is that they use cheat codes on Donkey Kong or some of these old arcade games. But if I remember correctly, uh, I don't think it was possible to put in cheat codes on an arcade game. Nintendo was the first thing where you could actually use, um, what is it, Game Genie? You know, some sort of cheat code to jump ahead yep. or get extra stuff. I don't think it was possible to do codes in the arcade, and that bugged me greatly. And Cubert uh, is adorable, but they screw it up really bad at the end, and I was just like, fuck this, I'm out. Damn you, Adam Sandler. <laughs> he has a way <laughs> of taking really interesting movies and then just, like, destroying it with a couple moments where it's just like, really, you had to descend back into poop jokes and you know, crazy shit, and I, I've never understood what his deal is. I think he's just really insecure, because even if people he kind of knows criticize his movies, he gets really offended. Well, what'd you expect? You keep quit making shitty movies, then. I wish he'd go back <laughs> to doing, like, uh, his serious stuff, like Rain Over Me and Punch Drunk Love. I mean, even some of his comedies that were a little more intelligent and well done, like uh, The Wedding Singer and... Uh, uh, Mr. Deeds was fine. I like that. But oh, yeah, I like seems, that one, too. It just seems like now he's just turning... Or Big Daddy. Into, Big Daddy was fine, yeah. Uh, it seems like everything he does now is like somewhere connected to Little Nicky, where it's just nonsense, just complete nonsense, and there's no real plot going through it. Well, honestly, with Little Nicky, it kind of had the right to be nonsense, considering it was supernatural and any of that it's, shit could have happened, because, you know, they're demons. <laughs> yeah, they hate it. So uh, it's up to you if you want to watch Pixels, if you're into retro gaming. It's really cool seeing Donkey Kong and Pac-Man and Space Invaders. And like little bits where you see Paperboy and uh, it's... Caterpillar. Really... What's that? Caterpillar. Yeah, Caterpillar was a big, actually, a big scene in that movie. And it looks amazing, uh, but the story just doesn't work for me. Was Peter Dinklage funny in that? Oh, hilarious. He plays this character that's so full of himself that uh, he almost breaks down from just like... I'm super macho. I, I can't handle it. I'm so amazing. <laughs> oh, God, I love him. Dude, I'm surprised we've never discussed Sonic before, considering he's like one of the biggest video game icons well, from Sega. Well, we going to last summer, but it just never came to be. Um, it's one of those things where it just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then I realized it was going to be his 25th anniversary. So therefore, that's why um, I, just, I said, you know, let's just wait till the turn of the year, you know. So it seems right about now. Even though technically it's not oh, yeah. the 25th anniversary yet, it was the summer of 91 where it came out. I just read a um, a book called Console Wars, The War Between Genesis and Super Nintendo, and uh, 600 pages mm. or something like that, fascinating. An excellent intro by Seth Rogen. Oh, shit. Come from Seth Rogen, who's like a messiah among nerds. <laughs> now, were you a Genesis or a Nintendo guy? Oh, gosh. I was both. I loved both of them. I mean, both, they had their fair share... I mean, they had, they were the same games, but some versions were different. Like, for Power Rangers, for Super Nintendo, it was like a uh, side-scrolling action game, action adventure. And for Sega Genesis, it was a fighting game. But then there was the ones based off the movie. Um, Super Nintendo had its perks. It was two, well, no, they were both two-player. Super Nintendo, it, you couldn't beat the Zords. 
that was a huge disappointment. I mean, that's one of the things you want to play as if you're a huge Power Rangers fan. You want to play as the Megazord. Well, and you couldn't cool. do that. Yeah, I thought it was cool is that Genesis went in a completely different direction than Nintendo. Nintendo, of course, is notorious for hardcore licensing, where it was like basically it's us and nobody else, and we gotta do all the manufacturing. You know, we have to approve of everything. We have to test the games, which is strange because if you look back on some of those Nintendo games, you're like, you fucking, you checked this? This is quality control because LJN is was notorious for the most frustrating poorly designed games ever that dick tracy game i wanted to strangle the people behind that one uh the back to the future game uh pretty much any licensed game was awful let's see ljn what about were they the ones who also did bram stoker's dracula uh you know i don't know i have to look that up but it, i would not be I thought... surprised if it was the dark man game was i think by them and that was awful acclaim games did a few of the movie tie-ins i think they did the total recall which was really rough uh, what about Batman Returns? Did, did, no, wait, no, I think Konami did that one. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, yeah, oh, that one was awesome. That was, honestly, that had, that I, I like that version over um, Batman Returns for Sega. Yeah. Batman Returns was a little bit more open uh, for Sega. Yeah. But when it came to Super Nintendo, I mean, it was kind of like Streets of Rage, which was cool and fine, and it captured the look better. It didn't have any purple shading. It was, you know, straight from the movie, as was the soundtrack. Here's but that the... was kind of... Go ahead. Sorry. That was kind of unique about um, Batman Returns for Sega Genesis. Yeah, it the was, Batman um... Returns is where they did the motion capture like Mortal Kombat for the Genesis. I remember playing that thinking it was amazing. Oh, no, that was Batman Forever. What'd I say? You said Batman Returns. Oh, I'm sorry, Batman Forever, yes. It was the 95 movie. Uh, I thought it was really interesting how they used the motion capture, and I thought the game was really entertaining. And in my opinion, I think Genesis was really starting to come into its own. Yes, they did have Sonic, and they had a few other licenses that were popular. Like, you know, they got the Mortal Kombat with the blood, and they had all the sports stuff. They had, um, uh, what was Trip Hawkins? Rage. What was the company that Trip Hawkins ran? Um, it was EA, right? EA Sports is what? I believe so. And, uh, you know, they had that license. So their sports games were always top-notch. Well, we played hockey on that thing endlessly. And, uh... It was around 95 is when they really started to create like these awesome games like Comic Zone and Vector Man. Yes. Vector yes. Man was crazy hard, but it looked beautiful. It, uh, it had the arcade style where each level was like almost Donkey Kong level of difficulty. So for that, well, I, I would say the Genesis was my play of choice once I hit like college. But I did play the Nintendo a lot because the Nintendo games themselves, the ones that they would design, were fantastic. Uh, but it was the licensed ones that they would get from other people that were always kind of rough. True. And, of course, Sonic was, like, their, of course, you know, their biggest, like, you know, franchise name. He's pretty much the, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Mascot. Yeah. He was the mascot for Sega. Anything Sega. And he got so huge that, you know, they ended up just creating the uh, cartoon series in 93. Yeah, and Jaleel White was the voice of both of them. There was the Adventures of Sonic... And I think it was just, you know, the Sonic cart. I can't remember the name of the other Sonic cartoon. But he Sonic the Hedgehog. Was it just called Sonic the Hedgehog? Uh, okay. Julia yep, White, of course, from uh, Family Matters is Urkel. Did I do that? You know, he was a phenomenon yep. at that time. Did you ever actually see his first appearance on Family Matters? I believe so, yeah. He, uh, Maybe. Yeah, he was just supposed to be a one-off. He was supposed to play his character in one episode, and they brought him back again and again and again until the point where he was a regular. And then, like, the last three seasons, it's basically just him and Reginald Bell Johnson running the show. I bet you the kids that were 
<laughs> supposed to be the stars of the show were pissed. Pretty much, yeah. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> Who's taking over now? Yep, it's all about Urkel. They might as well have just called it Urkel. Yeah. And uh, Sonic uh, was supposed to replace Alex Kidd as their mascot. Alex Kidd was always kind of a crappy... Some of these companies, they would get these mascots that they were forcing them to be mascots. They were not working. Like, what was it, Bonk? Bonk's adventure for the, um, the TurboGrafx-16? Clearly, he was not <laughs> good yeah. enough to be their mascot. And I, I can't remember. Sonic was supposed to be a different name. It was something ridiculous. I just finished reading the book, so I can't believe I, I don't remember what it was. Uh, it's hard for me to remember, too, because all I knew was just Sonic. And then this cartoon in particular, I the first, um, I think the first season, the first like 20 episodes yeah. was just all comedic, you know, silly Saturday morning kids cartoon with some, you know, public service announcements at the end called Sonic says. Yeah. Well, the Sonic, although it, oh, Sorry. And, I mean, it did kind of stay true to the, um, the world and the look of Sonic that much is certain, but it was definitely more funny, more comedic. It was like watching Woody Woodpecker or Looney Tunes. Yeah, well, it has, um, oh, I don't want to say Fritz Freeling. It had, uh, 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 Bob Clampett style. Jim Cummings. It had what well, kind of like the wiggly arms, you know, the old style like 30s and 40s Looney Tunes cartoons was really loosey goosey, you know, more of the Bob Clampett yeah. style. Uh, that's what the Sonic, I believe, the weekly, the syndicated series had that look, and then it would progress. And I just watched Sonic X, I believe, the third series is uh, much more anime style, and I didn't care for it as much. Right. Uh, actually, no. I think there was Sonic. The Adventures of Sonic. Then there was Sonic the Hedgehog, which had like a more darker, kind of a more serious tone where, you know, the world kind of been ruled by you know, Bot Robotnik and Sonic's helping these freedom fighters, which I think stayed along the stayed along the line of the plot of the original game. And, no, wait, no. Then there was Sonic Underground after that, that okay, I think that, around 98. That's the third one, right? That's the one that I have not seen of all the series. That's the only one I've not been able to watch. It's on Netflix. I don't have Netflix. Damn it! <laughs> I got YouTube and, and laziness and then the worst internet connection in history. I'm sorry. I do. It's ridiculous. Damn you, you must put more effort into it. Look at that! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog was given away free with the reboot of the Genesis. So anybody who bought that would automatically get the game free. That was a really smart choice because uh, the war between Sega of America... Uh, wasn't completely just with Nintendo. It was also with Sega of Japan. And the guys who developed it, uh, the head of Japan didn't want to give away anything. He didn't understand how American audiences think. Genesis never really took off in Japan. It never really did. Uh, in America, it was a phenomenon once Sonic came out. But they were going to charge like 50 bucks for Sonic. And they thought that was insane. You give that as the pack-in game and people will buy a Genesis. It was a long-term goal kind of thing. Get them to buy the core system to buy more games. The money comes from the games, not the, the system. And Exactly. I believe the game they were given before that was Altered Beast, which in itself is a fine game, but I don't think it lent itself to home play. It was more of an arcade-style game, which it, it doesn't sell consoles if you're just like, oh, I'm done. It's like half-hour worth of playing. Yeah, pretty much. I was thinking, what Sonic, they, it took so many tries to beat. What did, what did they give... Was it Super Mario World they gave away with the Super Nintendo? Yeah, like Super Mario All-Stars. No, I don't think that's what it, was, it started like off with. The and then I think for a while they were given away with uh, Adventure of Link, which was a hell of a game. Oh, uh, Legend of Zelda 2? 
Yeah, well, no, the second Legend of Zelda is actually Link's Adventure, the side-scrolling one. It's all weird. Oh, wow. And then there's also, um, oh, yeah, Link to the Past. Yeah, that Link was the one for Super yeah, Nintendo. One. I love that one, too. Oh, that one was the shit. I think that's probably the best but, yeah. one. Right, yeah. But as far as car- getting this cartoon going, I think they really wanted the uh, American audiences to be a little bit more familiar with the character. And plus, he was just selling like crazy. He was that popular. I thought Dr. Robotnik <clears throat> was a lazy-ass villain name. They could have tried a little harder. Yeah, I know. And eventually, throughout the years, they ended up calling him Eggman. Because he's shaped like an egg. Eggman! Boom. This is the part where if I had a better production values, I would enter that Beastie Boys clip. Eggman! <laughs> now, oh, the, the syndicated series had a much lower budget, uh, and the cast was just Julia White. Everybody else is like Canadian actors. No knock on them, but they weren't really well known for animation. Uh, the American version, which would, or not the American version, the Saturday version, uh, didn't last as long. Only 13 episodes a season. But it also had Charlie Adler, Jim Cummings, Rob Paulson, Frank Welker. Again, Frank Welker. <laughs> Every episode, God, Frank, Frank Welker. <laughs> and Jim Cummings, yeah, he was the voice of Robotnik. And uh, this was from Deke, which we haven't touched upon Deke very much. I should be careful how I say that. That really sounds kind of filthy. Yeah. I don't touch the Deke. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's like you have, a, you have a tough Swedish accent and you can't help it. You, you know, like, and you want to say, like you know. a bag of my penis? I'm sorry, you like that bag of penis? <laughs> you want to taste the penis in your mouth? Are, 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 you, are you, what are you saying? <laughs> oh, look, have a, come here. I baked, a, I, I baked it this morning. Have a piece of pee. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the third series, yeah, Sonic, the, um, Sonic Underground is also Julia White continuing. Maurice, Maurice LaMarche, of course, who played the brain and Pinky in the brain. What we do every day, brain. You do a much better brain than I do. I do a good... What we do every day, Try to take over the world. And you got to sound more like Peter Tori. Get rid of the accent. Yes, master. I'm, I'm much better at doing, uh, you know... Zog, hey! What's, what we got to do tonight, brain? <laughs> the same thing I want you to do every night, Pinky. Shut your funking mouth. <laughs> uh funny uh i think i'm getting kind of old and i'm a little out of shape because when i laugh now i'm like <laughs> don't but you don't smoke that's so weird i don't that makes no sense it's just uh, i i apparently and the weird thing is i work out all the time but i just don't work on my cardio get on that cardio get anyway on it. get on it get on it <laughs> so yeah deke was the one who was really trying really trying to push uh sonic out there yeah because uh, it was getting a lot of nothing. i don't think they've always been like the best animated company out, out there. I mean, Inspector Gadget is probably their pinnacle. But they're always guys that kind of, like, you know, just kept it going. They took oddball cartoons, you know, stuff that nobody else was really taking. So I commend them for that because they could have been like, that's not going to sell. Oh, I know. And then these cartoons could never have happened. Hell, Captain Planet might not have happened. No! But then again, I don't understand why they always give Mega Man that raspy voice. Why does he talk like this? Oh, yeah. Captain N. Yeah, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> I've been smoking every day. I know I'm supposed to be battling other bad robots, but uh, uh, I got a problem I got to take care of. You yourself are a robot, but you shouldn't sound that horrible. You're supposed to be the most advanced motherfucker out there, you blue little bastard. Uh, and, of course, Four Kids Entertainment took over for Sonic X. And I think that's why it looks a lot different. You know, the style was a little bit faster, and it was more geared towards an international audience than, you know, America. Right. 
I don't know what Sonic Boom well, of course. is. Did this get made and I missed it? French-American computer animated series. It only lasted, what, a, a half a season? Premiered a year and a half ago. Oh, on Cartoon Network. I haven't had the Cartoon Network in a while. Oh, yeah. Neither have I. I mean, ever since they canceled Young Justice, I was like, fuck you. Aren't they bringing it back? Isn't Young Justice coming back to, like, Netflix or something? I don't know, but season two was on Netflix. I hope I hope it is, because especially when you cliffhanger like, uh, ended on a cliffhanger like that, Plus, you're only just introducing it as a way to sell toys is absolutely stupid. Yeah, yeah. Plus, if anything, girls will buy those toys, too. They can buy action figures if they want. You know what's funny is uh, the speed of the Sonic game always blew my mind. I don't know I don't know how they developed it, but it's like nothing else. I've never seen graphics move like that without getting all broken up and pixelated. And every time they try to change the idea of what Sonic the Hedgehog is, it seems like it's a flop, but you have to change it. That's the same thing that plagues pac-man is every time they take pac-man out of the maze it seems like people reject it which i'm like just just accept this is going to alter because gaming itself has to change it has to evolve so you know when they had the 3d sonic you know coming at you and on different angles it was necessary you know and they've been adding them to other right. games so I, i've never had a huge problem with the as sonic has evolved i i really enjoy his look i do too i'm glad they still you know make him a blue hedgehog still and also, um, let's see, what was I going to say about Sonic? Uh, in the cartoon, I like how they incorporate his speed and how it like affects the environment around it, how it's all like noodly and shaken and yeah, yeah, yeah. like woven. Completely, you know, breaking cartoon reality. <laughs> Which is why we love animation, because they can do things you cannot attempt in live action and make it look good. Uh, except in the last couple of years, I'm, I'm stunned they're able to attempt some of the stuff they're doing because uh, like Tron Legacy, that stuff... Uh, I, I'm mind-blowing mind how good it was. And, and, you know, and seeing John Carter, as much as people deride John Carter, it did some stuff that nobody else was doing. And um, I feel like we're at a point where animation and live action can achieve the same kind of ideas. It, which stuns me is that they do terrible things like making Underdog a real dog. Make it animation. Mix it in with humans. I don't get that. Why do you have the little animated lips? I don't know. But they could... I mean, that's what they... I mean, plus... Underdog wasn't even, like, that mobile. He just seemed too limited to his actions. Like, he couldn't punch anyone. In the cartoon, he could. He had arms. <laughs> Gosh. Now, have you ever read the comic series from Archie Comics? I don't think I have. The stories are actually pretty good. It really digs deep into the mythology. But uh, I have to give credit more to the uh, art. Because the art is absolutely stunning. And, um... I've never really seen anything like uh, that done on a monthly basis, that quality. So I wonder if they they basically take all their budget for the comic and go, all right, uh, put it in the artist because that'll grab people's attention. And you can pick up like collections of them at your like grocery store, which grocery stores um, and drug pharmacies, you know, stuff like that. You used to carry comic books all the time. They always had a spinner rack. I pick up my comic books there. But of course, things. Changed. I remember those. They used to change over the decades, and they stopped carrying comics. But they always, to this day, will still carry those little tiny digest uh, Archie comics. And sometimes you'll find a Sonic. And it's like five issues for like five bucks, like compacted into a little tiny book. It's, it's really worth your money. Scratch that. I actually, I did get uh, one of these flip over Sonic and um, Mega Man comic books. Yeah. Oh, by like comic Archie Comics. Yeah. Yeah. On Free Comic Book Day. Yeah. That's when I got it last year. Oh, man. Yeah. No, it is. It's fantastic. It does. It does stay true to the look of sonic the, and the story 
Yeah, it definitely. It, it I like how it's uh, like will cross over with Mega Man. What surprises me is that it initially started as a four issue miniseries, and that was pretty much going to be it. But it was so huge that Archie said, "Oh, we're we're clearly going for a regular series." And it said in 2008, it has become the longest running comic book series based on a video game. And as of September last year, it is the longest running franchise based comic book series, passing Conan the Barbarian. I think it's on like issue like 270 or something like that. Holy shit. That's a lot. In this day and age where they're constantly rebooting stuff over and over, especially from the independent guys, they're just like, wow, screw continuity. Let's reboot it again because sales are starting to flag. Oh, let's do it again and again and again. Yep. Just like with what DC's doing with Rebirth. Ah. You know, I, I was talking about that is the fact that I'm furious that there is no Justice Society whatsoever in the new Rebirth. And what? crucial to the history of that universe. They're trying to embrace the history and bring back old and new readers. And yet they ditch the oldest team they've ever had as Justice Society. That makes no sense. Not at all. Like, not even a mention of them? I don't know. Well, they said there's not going to be a comic book whatsoever. So I don't know if they're going to come along mm-hmm. here. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's upsetting. It is. It's quite upsetting. But hell, knowing how great Sonic still is to this day and age is fascinating. I mean, shoot, going from... I think when uh, he went on to the Dreamcast at Sonic Adventure, that was a huge changer for it. I mean bringing all these 3D graphics to, like, a higher level, the, oh, my gosh, the racing simulations, the speed runs, oh, man. And you wonder why it got remade for the GameCube and, again, onto the PlayStation Store uh, for PS4 and PS3. <laughs> all right, okay, so I think that's all I have to say about Sonic the Hedgehog. Do you have anything else you want to say? I really hope they come out with a new game soon and not just, you know, uh, epi- and not have it so episodic. Right. I wish that somehow... I know they've been putting together the collection of Sega games where it's in a console, or you can get those like Retron 3 where you can put it in an old cartridge and play it again, but I wish that somehow there was a way to collect up all of games that were on Genesis, not just the ones made by Sega. I'm talking all the games made by... Because they had weirdo games that you can't find anywhere else. They had a Universal Soldier game, a Demolition Man game, and I wanted to play those, and I've never been able to. Judge Dredd. There are emulators, so I'm kind of... Boogerman. Boogerman. Uh, and, of course, Sega Saturn. Cap Attack. Genesis fell apart because... Or, not Genesis. The Sega fell apart because there's too many peripherals. They had the 32X. They had the CD. They had Saturn. They had the Nomad. They had the Game Gear. They had it all going at once. Their teams were all over the place. You know, the uh, 32X was never actually supposed to be released. It was in test mode, and once the Saturn was starting to come along, they were supposed to cancel 32X. But Sega of Japan was so stubborn that he refused to shut it down and you know, take his resources and people and focus on the Saturn, which was kind of falling behind. The, the development wasn't going the way they wanted to. The games weren't coming together. But he insisted on doing the 32X. And in fact, I think, what, maybe a dozen games came out on that? It was such a massive waste of money, and I think it pissed off buyers because there's too many peripherals. Right. You know, by the time Dreamcast uh, um, came around, it was too late. Yeah, I know. Dreamcast was really when it all ended. I, they were going to come out with another Streets of Rage, another Castlevania. They were going to do all these big exclusives of some of their old franchises that people loved yeah. and just never came to fruition because they crashed and burned. Here's Although Sonic Adventure was one of the funnest games. Yeah, there's a crazy thing I just learned about Streets and of Power Rage. And Power Stone. Is, uh, what'd you say, I'm sorry? Uh, Power Stone was a great one, too. Yeah, was that was great. also by Capcom. Uh, Gunstar Heroes was one of my favorites on that system. Uh, was it? Oh, uh, Streets of Fire. This is weird. I just heard this on a podcast. Streets of Fire was not a hit here, 
Uh, in fact, it didn't even make back its budget. It was massive hit in Japan. So much so that there was a game being developed called Streets of Fire, but they couldn't get the license from Universal, so they turned it to Streets of Rage. I fucking knew it. I had a feeling about those games. It had to be based on Streets of Fire. But it was How so awesome huge. is that shit? They said, though, they were so huge that even Street Fighter and Final Fight even took elements of Streets of Fire and tried, you know, just... And apparently it's more than that. It's seriously, when they say it was a cultural phenomenon, it was a huge hit. The reason that Michael Prey had a career as long as he did is because his movie sold very, very well over there. Oh, man. Good to know. Good to know. I mean, of course, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I really... I really hope they'll be get some kind of new Streets of Rage game. I mean, if they could remake Double Dragon for, you know, Double Dragon Neon, yeah. they could do something with Streets of Rage. Well, we are in full-blown nostalgia for late 80s, early 90s, so I would not doubt if they start bringing back some of these old games. Oh, no, I hope they do. <laughs> I, they had a series, I think it was called Jungle Strike, Desert Strike, and uh, Urban Strike or something like that, where you're in a helicopter and yeah. you take out all this stuff in a certain amount of time. I loved those games. They were great. Well, like I said, I'm just hoping they bring back Sonic. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else? That is it. Let's take a commercial break or some sort of break. <laughs> I guess we're not really commercial supported. <laughs> I don't know why I said Tea that. Tea break? Food uh, break? Yeah, let's just take a fart break um, and we'll come back with Donkey Kong Country. Sega Hotline, how have we resolved your issue today? Yes, Sega Genesis? Is this the company that makes all the video games? Why, yes it is. Well, Are you inquiring about a particular video game today? Well, I'm a grandmother and my grandchildren have been playing the games lately. and I just had some questions about the quality and the, the content of your games. Um... Do you have a game called the Sonic, they say Sonic the Hedgehog? Yes, we do, actually. That's actually one of our biggest franchises. Uh, what would you like to know about it? I, the, the speed, the fastness of it, it's, it's, oh, it makes my heart pound. It's, oh, it's overwhelming. I, I don't know what to say about the game. Oh, it's so exciting. So, so it's so exciting that it's giving you vertigo and... Dizziness? Possibly. I, my heart pounds, my eyes get dizzy, and I just, oh, I'm short as a breath. My gosh, I, I must ask, are you are you standing far too close to the TV as you're playing that game? Because that could be a cause of it. Maybe, I, I'm not sure, but the one thing that really bothers me besides the, the speed and the adrenaline rush is uh, the way his hair stands up. There's a little mock. It's like a bunch of, it kind of looks like... It looks like male genitalia on his head. But they're very curved and spiky. It makes him look more punkish and awesome, to be quite honest. It's, it, frankly, it makes my heart run a little bit faster. Even I don't know how to handle it. My gosh, man, I'm sorry. Uh, are you on any kind of prescription medication as you play these games or mixing it with alcohol? Many times. That's not the point. Um... And you also have a game called Boogerman. Is this true, where he flings his snot around? Well, yes, actually, it is true. It's uh, an old title. Oh my god, I haven't heard that one in ages. Oh, I'm behind the times. I'm a grandmother, remember? 
but we kind of catch up. Not as fast as Sonic. Right, yes, that's true, but I do have to congratulate you on letting your, you know, grandkids play old classic games, and then getting into the newer ones, like, you're kind of awesome for that, but as far... Also, can you carry the, uh, the Mortal Kombat games? Oh, yes, we do, actually. It's actually what was one of the other things that put Sega on the map, and what it was known for, considering it's high, mature content. Yes, there's there's lots of blood, and then the ripping spines in the heads and going to kill him. You know, it's it's lots of blood and gore. Right, yes, it's a mature game. It's clearly listed as in for mature audiences only 17 and up. Um, if uh, Are your children horrified by this game, or are they loving it? Not the point. Not the point. I want to make sure that you're the people that are doing this. And, and finally... Is there a game for the Sega CD called Night Trap with nudity and girls in bikinis and underwear being attacked? To my personal knowledge, I absolutely have no idea. I'm not even sure that... I didn't even know that game kind of existed. That sounds like Grand Theft Auto for the PlayStation. So, you admit that you carry games that have blood, gore, phallic symbols, brushes of energy speed, uh, nudity, and plenty of guns and gore. Is this right? I have no idea about the nudity. I'm not aware of any of that whatsoever, ma'am. That's pretty strange. My gosh, hold on. I'll have to, I'll have to Google this myself. Jeez, it's crazy. It's okay. All I want to know is all that stuff that's very controversial in all the games. Could you continue doing them? I love it! As a matter of fact, uh, knowing that, I will get to... I will let my CEO know about that, and I'm sure it'll probably drive him to create more mature games. Thank you. I mean, especially if you're going to be top, one of our top customers. Yes. We always love hearing good feedback. I love a good, exciting chase with guns of violence and gore and beat-em-ups and swearing and boobs. I'm a hip grandma. I will say, my gosh, you are a pretty awesome grandma. Shoot, I kind of wish my grandma was like that. All right, time to do but, a couple lines and go ride the hog. You have a good day, miss. Live it up, kitties. There's only so much time in your life. All right, thank you very much. That's a great word of encouragement. All right, you have yourself a wonderful evening. You too. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for sitting through our complete and absolute nonsense there for a few minutes. <laughs> Let's discuss Donkey Kong Country. All right. Yeah, I honestly, I was kind of a huge Donkey Kong fan because it was also one of uh, Nintendo's biggest mascots. And those are, those are the only ones that are still running with mascots these days. Basically, uh, Crash Bandicoot has been ditched. Um, Xbox never really had a mascot. Their icon has always been Halo, right? Pretty much, yeah. That counts as a mascot. Yeah, and um, there's really nobody else left standing. I don't know how much, how long, much longer do you think Nintendo can hold out? Do you think they'll continue I don't know. gearing towards families? Uh, I think they can actually, because the, some of the games they still have that they do come out with of these mascots are extremely fun. Like with uh, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, they're always getting great ratings. They're always doing, but I mean, as far as it goes for, okay, who did you introduce me to that showed the possible story connection of? 
of uh, the certain plots within Nintendo games, like the legacy, the whole legacy thing, like how. God, that was so long ago. I don't remember. Wasn't that like two years ago or something? Or uh, it doesn't matter. I think it was last. I, I cannot remember that. Yeah, how everything is interconnected. Well, you ever read my fan fiction where I tried to make a story where everything interconnects with Donkey Kong and Mario and Luigi? Did I ever show that to you? Yes, you did actually. <laughs> Basically, I think I favorited it. I might share it on the Retro Rocket because I only ever read like I wrote like the first two chapters of what was supposed to be like a six-part story. Um, basically, it was set like 10 years after Super Mario Brothers, and uh, Luigi is sick and tired of all the fame and fortune that Mario's gotten, because Luigi's always been kind of cast aside. And he ends up taking over their world, destroying everything in his path, and kidnapping the princess himself. Uh, basically, he's, his mind is cracked. He doesn't know how to function without having to be the leader now, and uh, um, basically, you know, uh, Princess, what was it, Princess Daisy? Is that the right character? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. It is like yeah, there was Daisy, yeah. and then there was a. Eventually, there was Rosalina. There's there's a weirdo game, the second game. You remember um, with uh, Toad? You know where like it's basically on uh, based on uh, Doki Doki Panic. Um, I thought there was a different princess in that one. Can't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, basically, it was, was taken over, and then Mario has to stop him. And at the end of the second chapter, he unleashes the Kongs on Mario, <laughs> and then Zelda has to come and save his ass. Or Link has to come save his butt. Right, yeah. I can't remember. Oh, dang. That does sound familiar. Uh, so the initial game, of course, is the one that basically built Nintendo. It, it was supposed to be something else. Like, a, I think a King Kong had a um, license and they couldn't get the rights, so they just went ahead with their own game, calling it Donkey Kong. Universal sued them, saying they stole the rights and uh, tried to get the game shut down. And then Nintendo gathered up whatever money they could and fought it in court and then it was discovered that the people suing them they didn't have the rights for uh king kong they grabbed it from someone else without uh, from rko without actually getting the license properly and so nintendo won got a shit ton of cash from universal covered all their costs and nintendo was off and running wow that's pretty nuts you know um, i'm kind of glad nintendo basically of course uh, went against the tide, seeing that everybody was falling apart around 1983-84. You know, Atari was done, Commodore was done, everybody else had fallen away, like in television, and saved the video game industry. And as much as people mock them for being for little kids, they saved this industry, which is bigger than the movie industry by a long shot. The video game industry? Yeah. Damn, I never thought of it that way. The billions and billions that go into video game development worldwide, or not development, but sales, is bigger than film. Wow. And of course... Well, I mean, well, I mean, it's becoming more and more like film, I mean, if you look at it. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it, it seems impossible for anybody to make a proper adaptation of a video game. I've never seen a good movie based on a video game. Damn. Now, there have uh... been... The first Mortal Kombat, that's about it. That's the only one I can think of. Uh, everything else was just... I uh, think that has aged poorly, but they did get what people wanted out of a video game right. Tomb Raider isn't that bad. The first, you know... Actually, both of them aren't that bad, but they're not great. Uh, the best thing I've ever seen about video games was King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, which is a documentary about two guys going at it, trying to go for the world record on Donkey Kong. Oh, yeah. I, oh, God, you're right. That's what, I do remember that. I think you you actually showed me. I think it was on G four when G four was all about 
actual gaming stuff. God, dude, I love G4. What the fuck happened to that? They decided the cops reruns were more important than, uh, you know... Oh, what did they... They had Tommy Tedesco and this other guy. They were always talking about shows, and they always got, go at it with each other. What the hell was that called? Press player? Was he the guy who... I think so. Then there was also the uh, Cinematech, which had, like, these top ten, like, countdowns or yeah. video game cutscenes. And, um... What's the one with Adam Sessler and Morgan Webb? I love that show. Their sketches were hilarious. You know, I was doing the review show. Um, what I hate, I feel like I'm getting to this point in my but, life and, where I'm uh, starting to have serious memory problems. And it's starting to bug me a little bit. Um, G4. Ah, look it up. I'm an idiot. I actually saw Morgan Webb once. And uh, she was at the Monterey Car Fest covering, you know, some sort of event for ESPN. This is just X Play. X Play. Uh, she was just starting to do X-Play, and she was doing this event as well, and uh, I just started getting into the show, and I was sitting um, downtown Monterey uh, on a bench eating my lunch, and she walks by, and I go with my mouth full, Morgan Webb, and she goes, hi, and then just kept going. I was like, that was the worst. <laughs> I know. She's probably she's probably extremely flattered, though. I was like, oh my god, he spilled out his food for me. <laughs> I mean, it was fairly early on in her career, too. I think she'd only been on X-Play for maybe a year. So the fact I just, like, instantly recognized her, but she was probably like, I have to be careful. It could be a fanboy. That's true. And yes, I've, very, admit, I have, uh, I've spanked it a couple of times. Door. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Considering how crazy you are, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm actually You probably had to be right very now. cautious. I'm just like, cartoons, video games, stroke, stroke, stroke. Shut your mouth. Let's <laughs> get to work. Well, cut off your penis. I think it's so funny that I'm the filthy one. I, when we first started this, you say the F-bomb a lot, but I'm the one who just like goes dark with like dirty, filthy stuff. <laughs> I got something wrong with I know, I'm surprised. I know, I'm surprised I haven't been as dirty. I think I try to stay away from the dirtiness considering I'm dirty enough as it is. Yeah. So I try to keep all that shit. You're like Dirt McGirt from uh, Booty Tang. <laughs> You're just covered in dirt. Fucking <laughs> fucking booty tank. God damn, I'm sorry. That's a, I, I'm just sorry for CK. I mean, you know, that was a directorial j- debut. He got not, fired. Well, I'm not sure if it was a directorial. He got fired from it. <laughs> well, it was a shitty move. He was doing the best with what he had. I, I what do you expect him to like, do? I just did the simple thing. It's just side eye tail on the tip of tie. <laughs> it's not a, I love it. Not a, it's a shit movie. Oh my god! You know there is a point where we're going to get back to doing our other show, Trash Cinema. And if people, if you like awful movies, uh, you have to listen to this. It's where me and Jacob and a couple other people just will pick a double feature and basically tear it up or build it, you know, or tear it down and build it up. You know, there's some stuff that people hate, and we actually end up loving. I really enjoy Hudson Hawk, and then uh, we're kind of torn on Master of the Universe. There's some stuff that's fantastic, some stuff that sucks. And then there's movies where you just want to rip them a new one. And if we ever talk about Pootie Tang, I will defend this movie as rampant silliness that deserves some attention. But uh, you disagree. True. There's a lot there. You'd be surprised at how many things I disagree on. <laughs> Let's. Uh, we should probably get back on. People are like, I came to listen for Donkey Kong Country. Stop this nonsense. Uh, My bad. It really, uh, it definitely uh, followed the plot of the game a bit more from what I do remember. Yeah, you know, going around, taking on crocodiles and shit. The CGI scenes are really dated. It is very rough to watch now. There, when we first saw like yeah. CGI on television, you know, with uh, Beast, um, Beast Wars, yeah, Beast Wars, 
uh, reboots. You know, it was groundbreaking. Reboot still holds up. I haven't watched Beast Wars yet. We'll discuss that in the future. But Donkey Kong Country kind of hurt inside. Yeah, no. Plus, with uh, Reboot, it was its own thing. It takes place within the digital gaming world. Yeah, and it seemed like the technology was developed differently. This feels like it was literally cut scenes from the game. You know, the same kind of brains behind it. Rare is an excellent company. Um, at the time, they really broke ground. They were a little computer company, and Nintendo saw the potential, and they developed, what, Killer Instinct was their first big one, and then Donkey yes. Kong Country right after that. And uh, oh, Genesis was kicking Nintendo's butt, and then all of a sudden, Donkey Kong Country comes out and becomes, like, the biggest game uh, in years. And basically, the attention turned away from Genesis, and they lost steam within, like, just a couple years. You know, they were no longer the cool kids, and they didn't have any killer game that was, you know, really building upon the legacy that Sonic the Hedgehog had. And that's when Nintendo came in, swooped in, and destroyed them. Ah. Well, sent, well shoot, Nintendo definitely got it right. And you know, Donkey eh, Kong Jr., still, I gotta say, the first two Donkey Kong games were fantastic, but after that, it really started to suck a little bit, and thankfully, Donkey Kong Country came out after what, I think Donkey Kong was kind of hidden for a decade, and just, that was it, that was everything that anybody wanted from Donkey Kong was, that was an amazing game. Oh, wow, like, even, oh, God, even uh, Zelda? What do you mean, Zelda. Did it overtake Zelda? Oh, Is that all most, people cared about? Most definitely. The initial sales on Donkey Kong Country were so phenomenal. And it just carried Nintendo for like the next six months. You know, and then Star Fox, you know, came in really well. And, uh, oh, yeah. Zelda had actually lost kind of the attention, I think. Link, Link to the Past is the third game, the first one on the Super Nintendo, correct? Yes. A Link to the Past is what came out on Super Nintendo. You know, and that one carried it for a while, but I think that it took so long for another proper follow-up that people weren't really into Zelda for a while. And, you know, then it came out with a whole string of fantastic games. And, of course, now it's just, it's the shit. I got the shit. Or fucking shizzle, my nizzle. Uh, Donkey Kong 3, I have to say, is an awful game. But there's something you must see about it, which boggles my mind, is the fact that you're basically taking a giant uh, spray gun, killing the bugs, and you're basically shooting Donkey Kong in the butt. With this spray, it's like you're giving him a giant air douche. <laughs> a giant Shit. air douche. That's my voice for the night. Oh. Giant air douche. All right, enough. Before you lose the rest of your voice, and we can't finish this. This voice is a lot easier to do than the old lady voice. This I just relax my throat. The old lady voice, you're kind of straining your throat a lot. It's kind of like someone's putting like a little vice on your throat. Yes, you gotta close everything up. You know, um, Donkey Kong, uh, later for a peripheral on uh, the Wii, they had Donkey Konga. I had a Wii for a while, but I never got around to buying that. It looked like it was a lot of fun, but it was clearly a peripheral. You're like, yeah, that's probably about three games worth. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, well, Donkey Kong is definitely still going strong, but as far as the show goes, I it, it was tough to watch as like a few minutes ago. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, very outdated, and like, what's his name? Croc the uh, crocodile general like his freaking man boobs were just a little <laughs> too much. Oh, they've got like, boobs. You can tell. In it? Oh, I gotta see that. I like. Of my course boobs. you do. A... I know you do. That's why you. That's why you fill yourself up every day, 
in saying, oh, I'm just checking for cancer, but you can't. You're touching yourself. All right, that got You're weird. sexualizing your own breasts, you that, sick that bastard. That got weird, Jacob. That got, nah, maybe we should walk away from that <laughs> <laughs> You brought it up, you son of a bitch. I, I did, told you. I you told you. You to a different place, man. I don't like it in that place. You should not do that unless you add lube. Now it's, now it's actually there. Now it's actually there. You cannot undo it. Oh, <laughs> All right, so with the cartoon, I recognize not a single voice, not one of the voice actors. The company that developed it is Canadian, so that might be why. That might be why. Uh, Nelvana, uh, I think we discussed them before. I think they're the ones that did Rock and Roll, which we keep delaying uh, doing. Oh, God. What did they do? They, uh, yeah, Care we have Bears. to get that. They're known for Care Bears, Babar. Um, the American Abar. TV show, Eek the Cat. Oh, we gotta discuss Eek the Cat. Eek the Cat. Oh my god, we do have to discuss that one. Shut your mouth. It's Let's do it now. Fuck it. Okay, Screw so Donkey Kong. Stop the show. All right, let's start over. Let's go do it again. Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were all sticking with us to the end of the episode. Screw it. We're out of here. But yeah, no, Um, I do, yeah, Donkey Kong definitely was more of that, like, jock bro kind of moron. And as far as Cranky Kong, I don't know. For a minute there, I thought it was Brian Doyle Murray. But I was completely wrong. Yeah. Nobody, I don't recognize any of the names here. It's weird. Uh, look at this. Uh, Nelvana was offered the chance to work on Heavy Metal, but they decided to go with Rock and Roll instead. Now, of course, Heavy Metal has become this massive cult hit, got a sequel based on the great comics, Metal Hurdent. And um, Rock and Roll ended up getting like just mishandled by the studio, and they dumped it, didn't know what to do with it. It was lost for decades. The DVD is actually quite good, but I think it's out of print now. We have got to discuss Rock and Roll. Let's, let's 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 do that for the next episode. We'll make it a mini sode. We'll watch. It. I think it's on YouTube, and uh, we'll discuss it afterwards. Sounds perfect. Rock and roll. Ah. I had to grab myself a little bit there. Rock and roll. Normally, I would sing like this. Hey, everybody, rock and roll. Hey now, ma. Come maybe, on now. Maybe you twist one nugget. <laughs> Stop touching yourself. I, I'm always touching myself. In fact, I it just it's nonstop. I need help. I need to put like a you know those big foam hands that say number one. Um, even if I wore those, I would find a way to like poke it with the big finger. The beep, 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 beep. Quick, okay. I just <laughs> let me give you let me give you a bit of advice. Look up Josh Gad's um, lip sync battle. Of uh, just look up lip sync battle Josh Gad. Okay, we'll do, do that. Um. Yeah, I don't really have much to say about Donkey Kong Country. The game was phenomenal, fantastic, even you know, great play today. That cartoon kind of sucks. Yeah, it does. I mean, it was something to watch when I was a kid. That's about it. Yeah, I don't even think it's a very uh, disc at all. So just go watch it on YouTube. Get your jollies on, people. Get your jollies on. I know. Just like, just like most, most of the cartoon, a lot of the cartoons we've had, you have a hard time finding on DVD. You'd have to look up on YouTube. What kills me is that the animation fans are so devoted that pretty much any cartoon that is not, like, big studio-owned, like Warner Brothers, man, they put the iron grip on anything being on YouTube. But, you know, some of these independent studios are like, uh, either we don't know or we don't care. Just get it out there so people know know that it exists. And maybe uh, if enough people get into it, we will release it on DVD or at least streaming. Of course. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, come on. People would go crazy for the streaming services. 
All right, everybody, we have officially entered our third year of this show. Our last episode is a phenomenon. I have never had a show go as big as that one, the Animaniacs Hysteria episode. We are breaking our own records here, and I want to thank you so much for the support, the love, the attention, the uh, little bit of hand jobs here and there, but no, um, that didn't happen. Uh, basically, thank you for sharing. Keep it up. Uh, go to our webpage, uh, Back in Tunes on Facebook, or the... You know, just click on it and go, eh, I'll listen to one of these, and just let us know what you think of the show. We have been at this for a while, and Jacob, thank you for being so devoted. Um, my relationship with you is stronger than most of the women in my life. It's kind of ridiculous, and uh, we were hardly ever in the same room. And it's and it's slightly less homosexual. Oh, and about the hand jobs, you give yourself your own hand jobs, you I son do. of a bitch. I put it in the freezer for a little while, wait for it to go numb, and then it's kind of knocking around. Knocking my nuts! Knocking my nuts! <laughs> you're like you're just juggling your bells around yes i am um and uh i guess keep it up everybody um this is michael saying be excellent to each other and jacob how do we send the people out namaste and good luck you guys that's right that's how we do things around here uh i don't have any closing theme songs so i'm just gonna keep doing this voice until i pass out and that's when the episode's over and then you start crying my god are you dead are you dead <laughs> and then we'll all laugh <laughs> by the way if I ever do die Jacob I have to give you the passwords for everything because I need you to keep the show going keep the legacy rolling because any day now I could be hit by a giant squirrel you know just right out of a tree go right through my brain just or or uh, or a moose a moose, moose is a moose everywhere around moose here. is a vengeance yeah I mean you look at them sometimes and like I am totally going to stab you with my horns are they horns is that what moose have what are they? just antlers, right? Just big old—they don't look like deer yeah. antlers. They're not pointy, you know. You can't just impale somebody, but they can slap you around, bitch slap you a little bit. Oh wow! Yeah, they can. They can be very dangerous. Okay, I think we're screwing around enough, everybody. I'm sorry. Keep Wang Chunging, because I am right now as we're listening. Oh yeah. Quit wanging your chung. Wanging <laughs> all night. Everybody's working for the weekend. And it is Friday. Hey, hey. It is. By the time you listen to this, though, you'll be like, uh, how long have I been asleep? They just said it's Friday. I missed work. <laughs> okay, seriously, we're going we're gonna to bugger off now. Good night. All right. Comics on Infinite Earths. I know, it's been a long time since the last episode of me and Avery. Um, things happen, I guess. How long did you tease them with this one? <laughs> oh my god. Um, it's just been hectic. It's been it's been life. It's been ups. It's been downs. But um, it's overall just been really good. I'm not even going to say it's been bad. It's just been a really good couple of days. It's just I haven't had time to come in and do these and i've wanted to tear into house uh, house of him for a while too because that does lead us up to uh what we want to go to eventually which is going to be the secret wars the 2015 edition of yeah that. 
Now I know everybody's probably listening to this going, you guys have been talking about Marvel a lot lately. We know. I just slowly dawned on me recently that <laughs> uh, our groups have been doing Marvel comics. We're going to get into some DC stuff. We'll get into some Image, some Dark Horse, you know, some indie stuff, something outside of the Marvel Universe. But for the moment, we're going to discuss House of M. And this was your suggestion. What made you choose this one? <clears throat> what made me choose this one overall, uh, believe it or not, the thing that stood out to me before I even knew about House of M was the first official cover for it. And I looked at that and I was just like, House of M, what is this? You know, if if it's possible, I'm going to send you a picture of this cover because I think everybody needs to see it. Like as far as the art goes the art direction of this, like, that's what stood out to me the most in this one. Yeah. Now, did uh, more you see this in Wizard Magazine, or was this promoted by Marvel? This was promoted by Marvel that I've seen it the first time. Uh, I was in, um, there's a store over here called Hastings. Uh, they are sadly going out of business. <laughs> but going out everywhere. <laughs> Hastings has everything. Hastings has comic books, movies, manga, everything, right? And I was looking through there, I was looking for some, um, some of the original Iron Man comics and I came across House of M and I just looked at it. Like I just flipped through it just to look at the pictures because that's usually the first thing I do. And that one just stood out to me more than anything else. So uh, I definitely picked up, picked up as many as I could. I was missing like one or two copies the first time I had it, uh, one or two issues or so, but uh, I've completed it. I've read it a couple of times. It's, it, you know, it's, it's one of the ones that, um, now that it is an, a, a part of the series or whatever, I wouldn't say it was one of the best, but it's not one of the worst. But it's one of those things that needed to be addressed. It's one of those things that needed to happen. It's essential to the Marvel storyline from the time of its inception until actually now. It's still relevant as yeah, well. This is a huge sweeping storyline. I only read the core titles, the, the House of M miniseries. I think there's like 50 issues total. I only read the eight. Um, yeah. This is the first major event post Marvel, you know, their Avengers disassembled. You know, just splitting up the huge team. Kind of, it's almost like a rebooting of the universe. So, not the way that DC does it, but the way that Marvel is like, okay, now X Men are the astonishing X Men. Marvel's Avengers is now New Avengers. Stuff like that. And you can see a lot of characters changing. Um, disassembled. Did you read that storyline? Uh, as far as disassembled go, I touched on it briefly, but I did not get too much into it. I do know you know, the majority of what happens, everything in Disassembled, but I haven't actually just sat down and powered through it just yet. There's only two deaths in comic books <laughs> that have really hit me hard. When Ted Cord, Blue Beetle, gets killed, and when Hawkeye gets killed at the end of Avengers Disassembled. He's not the only character that dies, but for some reason, that one just hit the hardest because there's a sequence where he knows he's going to die, and he looks at everybody with, like, this like sadness, <laughs> like, I have to go. Because he's going to explode. And it was just such a sad moment. And it kind of like days later still lingered with me. And when I heard <laughs> um, a hint of Hawkeye maybe coming back in, uh, I was reading Wizard Magazine. God, I miss Wizard Magazine so much. Um, <laughs> but they were talking about this could be the possibility of a Hawkeye story. And I was like, oh my God, I got to read this. Man, I just, oh, I was so enveloped with this storyline. Now, <clears throat> I read it now, and I don't think it's as good as it was a decade ago. Nah. Um, well, now, here's one thing I would like to say about House of M. House of M uh, brought out, and it's funny that you may mention Hawkeye because he's one of the people I did want to talk about because he did briefly come up and he 
dang, it's just what happened to him in that series was just, it, it did, it does hit home. Um, House of M, uh, the, the the reason behind House of M was because at the time, uh, Marvel pretty much came to a point of saying, okay, we have entirely too many mutants, too many mutant storylines. Like, it's, 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 it's all over the place. Uh, you know, um, it was pretty much not even, uh, they were showing up everywhere. They were oversaturating the market at the time uh, in the early 2000s, 2005. <clears throat> So House of M is in place to actually condense these guys down and like you, what you mentioned before, give uh, the X-Men, the mutant storyline, their own reboot, you know, uh, uh, to start over fresh, not necessarily like brand new storylines, brand new origin stories, but now we only get to focus on the key mutants and maybe expand out further. And we have expanded out further. Like it is actually... Uh, right now, as I would say, X-Men would probably still be one of the strongest story arcs in Marvel Comics right now today. Uh, it could be better. I know there's a lot of controversy going on today as well, too, as far as the Marvel storylines and people saying that certain writers are pandering and certain aren't. And I understand what they're going for. Uh, but as far as it's going right now, X-Men still does have one of the strongest storylines. Uh, available to us right now. They also have one of the craziest histories. Like their their timeline is all over the place. I give them guts for going out of the comfort zone. They've always just like tested the boundaries. Whereas like Spider Man, Captain America, for a long time, you know those main characters just uh, okay, same thing over and over again. Okay, and then X <laughs> just like okay, we're gonna kill everybody off. Oh, we're gonna take them to Australia. Oh, we're gonna change the timelines. Oh, we're gonna make Psylocke, you know, Asian now. It's just what. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, uh, let me see. So one of the things that I did want to, uh, going back to what I'm saying, uh, House of M, not only does it bring back, uh, you know, make it, the important mutants important again and give them back, you know, their their uh, their story and their entitlement to, you know, their how awesome they are. It also shines the light on a couple of lesser known people. Like, I mean, we all know, uh, you know, we all know Iron Man. We all know Spider-Man. We all know uh, Magneto, but uh, how many people actually can say, man, I love Quicksilver? You yeah. know, how many people can say, uh, hey, you know, what about Cloak? Uh, how, how many people can actually say Scarlet Witch uh, is one of my favorite characters? Um, <clears throat> in this series alone, Scarlet Witch uh, was able to trump some of the best minds. Like, she, she like, nobody could figure her out. We figured, like, well, they figured out Jean Grey. But they couldn't figure out Scarlet Witch. They couldn't even come close. Like Scarlet Witch, she eventually does is make a reality with uh, with with, and she's able to bend the minds of every major character, and nobody knows that. And we sit here, we talk about we talk about Xavier, how awesome he is. We talk about Jean Grey, but nobody ever mentions how powerful Scarlet Witch is. Yeah, she was always kind of a sub-character. I would almost say she was like a C-lister. She was always part of the Avengers, but no one really mm-hmm. had much interest in her except for when she was Vision. And it's funny how Bendis takes a storyline from nearly 20 years earlier about her kids uh, you know, disappearing. I can't remember who she was fighting, Count Nefarious or something like that. Disappearing and no longer being part of our reality, and that slowly cracked her mind to the point where she disassembled all the Avengers. And now she creates this whole new reality, <clears throat> and... Uh, 
Bendis just found so much in her character that no one ever explored before. Now, that is, now here's the thing. Um, going back to uh, Bendis, a lot of people nowadays, they, uh, like, here's a couple of comics that Bendis has on his belt. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, which, what I have to say, might be one of the best things ever done with Spider-Man. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man is one of the things that he has on his belt. Uh, this, as well, to House of M. Uh, he, I do enjoy a lot of his things. Daredevil, as well, too. The uh, newer Daredevil comics, as well. Um, we're looking at, uh, he, <laughs> this isn't the only thing he writes for. He also did New Avengers, All New X-Men, and Spider-Woman, and The Secret Invasion, as well, too. Uh, just a list of his noticeable, uh, notable works. Um, now, the other thing with him is that's the person that everybody's like, Oh, he's he's the one that's running Marvel. I'm just like, no, he's kind of the way that you're saying it. You know, he's taking these characters or making brand new characters and giving them sides and edges of stories that we didn't even consider before. You know, um, we're we're seeing brand new characters uh, from different places, different towns, different cities. With you know, their problem might not even be a problem. Their problem might just be, I want to be a superhero, something basic. You know. But we're seeing it from new characters, new everything. And that is something I do enjoy because now I know what's going to happen to these characters. But we get to see it go down a different storyline. We get to see it go down a different story path. And we get to see why it was done a certain way or why it wasn't done the normal vanilla way that uh, comics mostly do when they do pull out reboots. Yeah, I would say Bendis and Jeff Jones, for each of their universes, have taken these characters that might be in C-level and found out what makes them tick. But not only that, he also finds what works with the villains and the side characters and brings a lot of heart and humor into it. A lot of the storylines aren't about the big dramatic swing, you know, oh, the huge, uh, what's the, um, the gimmick, you know? It's more about <laughs> how the characters react to each other. That why that's why it's so much more significant than a lot of other writers who just go, "What's the big event? Who do we kill off?" You know that kind of thing. The the see and with this in House of M, the biggest event isn't it 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 isn't the the fact of uh, Scarlet Witch making this alternate reality. It isn't the fight that goes down. The biggest event is her literally just saying, "No more mutants," and that was it. That was it was so simple, so. It was so simple, but it was, like I said, it's not the best thing, it's not the worst thing, but it was definitely something that was needed for the time. And that right there alone is, that is the climax. Like, the weight that comes with it when the entire world set back to normal and there's only, you know, less than 200 people that have, uh, less than 200 mutants, you know. That right there is the weight. You know, we didn't we, we didn't go to see a giant fight. We went to go see the 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 aftermath. The aftermath was the bigger thing than the actual explosion. Yeah, well, there is a piece. There's a couple issues where it's the mystery of what happened. What is this alternate universe? This is like their version of Elseworlds or a what if comic if it had been expanded to a miniseries. Uh, you know, basically where people who didn't have superpowers, at least not born with superpowers, were treated like trash. Whereas the mutants were more like the kings of this, you know, running everything. And you have just a few anomalies like Wolverine can remember what it was like beforehand. And uh. Spider-Man <laughs> is treated like royalty because they consider him uh, a mutant, if I remember correctly. That, that is, now that was one of the other issues as well, too. Uh, a lot of people 
that that's actually one of the arguments one of the key arguments with it is like is spider-man a mutant or is spider-man like iron man uh, uh is captain america a mutant like it's a label that was getting thrown around and in itself really losing what it actually meant to be a mutant you know what i mean yeah. um uh, uh, when when i read x-men i'm not expecting spider-man you know uh i'm expecting wolverine i'm expecting storm i'm expecting beast um i i don't know like it, it is debatable is spider-man actually you know spider-man captain america can we consider these people mutants or what yeah well they were just science with, captain america was not born with it so he can't be mutant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, spider-man that's the thing but it was always a mystery because they kept their identity secret especially spider-man there is actually an issue i think it was Ca- uh spider-man um 327 he gets the captain universe powers which is this weird sub story that pops up once every 15 years where this cosmic <laughs> entity goes around giving people special powers to take on some major event and um, it gives Spider-Man the ability to, like, you know, fly and shoot cosmic rays and everything. And Magneto, all of a sudden, like, what is going on here? So he goes to investigate, testing Spider-Man's limits, and he's like, oh, I thought you were a mutant, but you have way too new powers. It's usually he just, like, makes one new power, you know, one specific thing. So he changed his mind or whatever. But it's funny, for a brief moment, Magneto was convinced he was a mutant. <laughs> I think it, and I think that is one of the things that we do need to, like, a lot of people do need to come down to that most of these mutants, all of these mutants, uh, are born with their powers and are awakened during certain times, certain peak, uh, certain peaks. Uh, some of them do get enhanced, like Wolverine. Uh, some of them, Deadpool as well, too. But uh, these guys, whatever has made them unique, they were born with it. Spider-Man, you know, he was a normal, everyday guy, but then something happened. Uh, Daredevil, uh, normal, everyday guy, but something happens to him. Captain America, normal everyday guy, but something happened. But he chose. Uh, He's the only only. But guy he chose. chose it. He, <laughs> he, uh, he he chose. Um, can we uh, like the the Hulk as well? I, I wouldn't say the Hulk chose, um, but if I recall correctly, I think there is one storyline where he actually knew about everything that happened to him while he was a child. And he actually chose to go under the gamma radiation. Huh. So, uh, I have to check on that one. I with have to Thor? see. Maybe though. What's up? Would Cthor could be considered technically a mutant? I mean, I know he's a god, but I mean, he was born with these powers. So, would he be considered a mutant? Would he be considered a mutant, or would he be considered a god? Because hmm. uh, here's one. What about Apocalypse? Because uh, Apocalypse is the first, you know, alpha mutant that people mostly come to, and. He was worshipped. He was looked at. He was viewed as a god. So, are these people god? Like, where there is the little gray area there? Like, what's up there? <laughs> we got thought provoking, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> now, with the X Men, they've always been kind of a metaphor for people who have been held down, the the underdog. Uh, it's funny with the juxtaposition <clears throat> in the story of House of M is that the underdogs are now in charge. And it's it's almost this, you know the truth in absolute power corrupts absolute. You can you can definitely see that. And even though uh, what was it Scarlet uh, with Scarlet Witch, the reason why she wanted to project this reality and and the the re- the main reason was because she was just like I wanted to give everybody what they wanted, you know. But then she realized that you know, once she did it, the world was set in course. And once it was set in course, once it was thought of, she had no control over that at all. 
absolute power does corrupt absolutely, even if it is with good intentions. <laughs> and that's all she really wanted. She just like, I want everybody to be happy. And in this little fantasy world, everybody got the one thing that they did want until they realized it was just a facade. <laughs> yeah, when they when it dawns on all of them and Hawkeye loses it over the fact that he oh. died, oh, that's hard. And, and and Peter Parker not realizing until that moment that he was never meant to be with Gwen Stacy, that you know, she died. I mean, it's it's a hard choice to make. <clears throat> he still gets to live, but it also changes his future for his true love. You know, um, Mary Jane is no longer in his life. It's oh, it's, it's a complicated story. It is it. It is one of the things, like I said, it is a very concrete story. It was needed. <clears throat> sure, there are some things that I would like to change, um, but necessarily, yes, it was definitely something that laid the foundation. And I don't want to spoil too much. We'll go back into that once we come to that point, but it does lay some foundation with the alternate universe, with what happened in our Secret Wars as well, too. <clears throat> I'm going to get around to reading. I I will get around to reading this. You have to, because like, at least with that, at least with that, um, what some of the things make a little bit more sense. Like since I read the house of M first, and then I went back and read secret wars, like pretty much back to back. I was like, this, this is huge. Like I know Marvel likes to do things on a grandiose scale, but, this is huge. And then if you get all the comics that tie into all these events, like the, uh, what was it? The, what was the event? The insurrection, I believe, or something that ties into the secret wars. Well, we have the two worlds colliding. Let's see. What am I looking for? I have it here in my notes, and I have a lot of notes for this. But what happens is, with all the things that come into play, The Secret Wars, the newer one, plays a lot with parallel universes um, fighting other parallel universes. Was it Multiversity? I, I read that. That was really uh, dense and complicated. I think Hickman wrote that. <laughs> Let me see. No, it, it, is, it was The Incursions. That's what it okay. was. The Incursions. So, uh, The Incursions is pretty much like the start of the 2015 Secret Wars, and then from there, I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> and here's just, the end, everybody. No, just know, just know that there is uh, at least four, five, four to five parallel universes that all come into play, and from there, we're just set on this alternate course of where Marvel is today, which is not a bad place. I, I know a lot of Marvel fans are disappointed distraught or whatever but on the bright side it's not a bad place just look at it as we're seeing the same basic stories but we're getting them flipped on their heads we're getting them turned around we're seeing it from brand new perspectives so that is one thing i do like um the stories could be a little bit stronger but since they are from a different perspective i will take it i will take it so House of M had some leaking little bits and pieces that would show up later in Secret Evasion, but the biggest thing is they don't answer immediately what happened to Hawkeye. It's like they answer the mutant question almost immediately, like all of a sudden the cast is parred down, and um, then all of a sudden it's like, what happened to Hawkeye? Is he dead? Is he not dead? The costume's hung up, but we're pretty sure that he died. 
And then it's like, what was it, like two years later or something, they finally revealed it. That's a long wait. That's a patient writer. That is a terrible wait. And, and see, it, going back to what I said, House of M, definitely the comic for the little people, man. Like, um, Hawkeye, like, who can actually say, man, Hawkeye is definitely my favorite super superhero. I love Hawkeye. And when he had that moment where where he realized I'm dead and no matter what happens next, I'm going to die again. When that moment came, I'm just like, I've never felt something so strong for such a minor character. Like I felt so bad for him. And I think from that point on, I've been a Hawkeye fan. Yeah. Um, good writers really know how to handle the B and C level characters that nobody usually cares about, which are usually my favorite. If I were to build my ultimate Avengers or ultimate X-Men, it would be just littered with like the sub characters like, oh, yeah, he's not even good enough to have his own like series. But I'm like, oh, I'm choosing that guy. Wonder Man, he's on my team. <laughs> I'm going to like, here's one. Uh, Cloak. Cloak has to be probably like you say Cloak and people are like, who the heck is Cloak? Who's, who, who's Cloak? Um, but going back to even with our fight with Thanos, even with this, Cloak has come back time and time again to show, hey, I survived Thanos, I survived House of M, I survived all of this, you know, and he is just, he has to be, like, if I'm making a team, he's the first person I'm picking. <laughs> if, if you go and find that original miniseries from 1982, it's dark, it's gritty, it's so much more mature than almost anything else out there. Uh, it helps that it kind of came out of the Daredevil world at that time. Um, I read it recently, and I was just stunned. It's so good. Let's see. And you said it was in the 1980s? Yeah, I think it lasted. The original miniseries was four issues, then it went into regular series. Not bad, just not as strong as that original storyline. And Cloak and Dagger, yeah, definitely very powerful. But for some reason, nobody has ever considered them more than just like, oh, they're, they're guest stars. It's the best they can do. They can do an arc. They're not able to carry their own series. They should be added to the Defenders. Like the Netflix series, I feel like they deserve mm -hmm. their own series, and they should be added to that team. That is definitely, I mean, um, I guess everybody's favorite little B-list, C-list person would have to be Squirrel Girl. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, no one's said Dazzler. <laughs> no one's ever said that. Oh, man, I've, I've heard some people uh, come out and just say, you know what, um, I don't like Iron Man. I like Squirrel Girl. I'm like, okay, that's, that's different. That's different. And and as the biggest Doctor Doom fan, I will say, screw all you guys. <laughs> if, if you're uh, a fan of this House of M storyline, and I say you should check out Exiles. Exiles was this excellent series that was kind of a sub-world, alternate universe. They were jumping through all these little weird, uh, weird worlds where it was X-Men, but not the X-Men you know. And they just kept trying to go through like all these timelines and alternate universes. It was fantastic. So if that's one as well, too, I think my suggestion would have to be for the, uh, let's see, check out the new Avengers that, um, let's see, the new Avengers that came out for, I want to say, what year was that? I want to say that's going to be the same year, 2000, oh, 2006. Uh, also, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, very, very good. Um, it's, I don't want to give away too much, but it's not the Avengers that everybody knows. It's not going to be Iron Man, but they can definitely kick some ass. Yeah. <laughs> it was a dream team. It's like, who do you want? You can have them. You're like, seriously? Okay, I'm going to throw out anybody I want there.
And uh, Bendis always grabs a couple of guys that didn't get the shine, even though they have extreme power. Let's just show, uh, uh, I kind of hinted there, power. You know, someone that got <laughs> added to the team that never got used properly. And slowly, he just kept adding all these all cool C and Lee, uh, D level characters. You know, we got Iron Fist, and, and uh, Echo was part of the team for a while. I just really like his storyline. Like, like you were saying, this is definitely, um, like, I think our big heroes, like, anything to take away from today, our big heroes are great. I'm never taking anything away from those guys. Those guys are our concrete. They're our foundation. But we should never, ever, ever overlook the little people. Our B-listers, our C-listers, the ones that always are in the comics but don't have their necessary own comics, their own origin stories, don't ever forget about those people. Like, um, the glue. Those guys still, uh, like I said, Scarlet Witch out funk. <laughs> she out funk Xavier. Who else can say? Who else can we say did that? <laughs> Not hardly anybody. There's hardly anybody. You can put you count less than one hand. I'm sure if you really did like the deep research, if you did it. <laughs> but uh, else let's you want to say about the series before we go. That's that's about it. That's all I have today. All right, so uh, I think we're talking about the next issue. Uh, issue. Hey, why don't we just call these issues instead of episodes? <laughs> uh, yeah, identity yeah, crisis. That's thinking outside the box. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do next. We know we've been doing a ton of Marvel, and since I've been here, all we've touched on is the major Marvel events. But how about we touch on a major DC event? Definitely. And, and Definitely. after that, we'll try to do some independent stuff. And uh, next time, maybe it won't take us two months to do another uh, episode. <laughs> no, I got my schedule worked out now. Um, I've stopped drinking. My... <laughs> <laughs> We'd be ready, and he'd be like, Michael, stop. You're drunk again. You're drooling on the microphone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's been it's been hectic, but like I said, it's nothing I've put away. It's always been in the back of my mind to always get this done, and I've enjoyed this every episode we've done. All right, everybody, and if you enjoy our little camaraderie and uh, you know our discussions, check out the, this is kind of a spinoff, kind of a connection to the uh, podcast called Back in Tunes, where we talk about animation. And we kind of decided like a few months ago, hey, let's let's add something about comic books into that little world. So go to Back in Tunes on Facebook and hit like, and you'll get all the updated episodes. Anything new that comes out for comics on Infinite Earths or Back in Tunes will be there for you. Sounds good to me. I've definitely been staying on that page and reading, reviewing. It's been passing all the time I have at work. <laughs> I, I feel like I don't share enough, though. I feel like I'm just doing the podcast, like just posting the podcast. But I don't really post much about the animation world and comic book world. I need to get on that, everybody. I'm sorry. I'm slacking. We can... We can find some. Uh, we can find some very obscure '90s cartoons. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely. I've always been down for the '90s cartoons. And I love those more than. Yeah, and your your group that you started on Facebook is just blowing up. Uh, <laughs> well, you change the name on a regular basis. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? Now here's here's something. I actually have I actually have some plans here. My plans here is uh, I'm actually going to leave the group as is. And I'm actually going to take, uh, because I'm doing a lot of work with a lot of people right now. Uh, I'm doing podcasts with you. I'm helping other members out there want to do videos. They got podcasts as well, too. Um, I want to take all of those things. I want to take everything that I put my finger on, and I want to put all of that on one website. I want to do news. I want to do reviews. I want to do everything. I want to put it all on one separate website. I have no idea what I'm going to call it yet. But that is definitely something that's been in the works for a good two, three months now. But come October, it's going to be up and running. 
All right, and when he does, you're coming on here, and we're going to discuss it. Until then, um, what is it called now? Outer Heaven or Otter Haven? It, it's always it's always going to be Outer Heaven, but it may or may not, just depending on how I feel, be Otter Haven. For some reason, everybody likes for some reason everybody likes the otters. I don't know. <laughs> and, and tell tell the kids what it's all about. Uh, look, it's just a page. We do anything from it. Are you a nerd? Or are you not a nerd? We don't care. Just come over, have a good time, have a good laugh. We don't care. We'll share just about anything just for laughs, just for entertainment, just for just to sit down and talk about. <laughs> we love it. All right. That's, that's, yeah, it's a great fun page. And um, everybody, that is it for us here. Um, and uh, have a good night. Avery, you want to send us out? Guys. I want to say it's been a pleasure working with Michael again. And uh, everybody here, have a great night. Be chill. Be peaceful, too, all right? It's crazy out there.